You're in the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. With Gene and Chris, we're back on the Paracast. And no, since we talked to David Politis and J.C. Johnson, I have not gone to any national forests because I do not want to risk disappearing. Yeah. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, notice the long silence when I said that. Because I I thought, you know, Chris is saying, you know what? Look at this. He disappears. I get the show. Okay? I get the company. I get the show. It's all mine if he disappears. I don't know about that. I I have nothing in writing. (laughs) We'll have to set something up. If I did set something up, I guarantee you he'd give me a free ticket to go to some place in Utah or somewhere and well, go. speaking of that, the uh, Jesse Ventura conspiracy theory episode on the Skinwalker Ranch uh, aired, and boy, I'll tell you, they sure sanitized it. They sanitized it. How so? Well, I've, I've pretty much figured out uh, what's going on. When they finished editing the show about six months ago, uh, the producer told me it was the best show that they'd, they'd ever done for the, uh, the series. And then I get a call. A couple, the show doesn't air for eight months. Uh, it was totally, you know, shelved. Uh, the series, the third season. Come to find out that they were forced to re-edit the Skinwalker episode, Skinwalker Ranch episode. And my guess is that, and he was not happy about it. I, I should add, um, he said, "Now the show is only good. Before it was great." Well, I think I figured out what happened. I think uh, Bigelow, who did appear on the show, obviously, in order to use his likeness and his words, he would have had to have signed a release for him. My guess is that Bigelow said, hey, I want to see the edit, and then I get to take out whatever I, I don't like about it. And, you got uh, veto power, then. I do have a sense that certain certain things were taken out, including yours truly. Uh, I, was not, I was hardly used at all. I have about... I don't know, maybe a dozen words from a two two hour interview. Ryan Skinner, who we've had on the show, also uh, was pretty much left out of the segment. We were the ones that gave all the descriptions of the activity that occurred up on the ranch over the years. Some in the book Hunt for the Skinwalker, some not, including Ryan's own personal experiences. And one thing I noticed, they never ID'd anywhere close to where the ranch was. They never mentioned Hunt for the Skinwalker. They never really mentioned uh, the type of activities that have been reported up there. All that was left on the editing room floor, and I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm going to get confirmation of that from the producer who I have a call into from the production company that did the show. So once again, you know, it looks like the powers that be are, are able to, to uh, use their, their money, power, and influence to sanitize information that uh, I think we all have a, a right to know. And their premise at the end of the show was that Bigelow is putting his space hotel orbiting the Earth, uh, the only private satellites and, and space objects uh, that are orbiting the Earth are owned by Bigelow. And they, sh- they say at the end that that's, that's going to be his escape pod for when the aliens attack the Earth. Okay, and, so he uh, expects the aliens to attack Earth. We don't know about Skinwalker Ranch. That's on the QT. But isn't this kind of something that you've had problems with? You did a segment for the UFO Hunters show, mm-hmm. and you were talking about all the stuff you've investigated, which they moved to another state. Right. <laughs> 
Yeah, in this case, though, they just left me on the editing room floor, which is okay. Their check cleared the bank. Uh, you know, I was a little nervous about some of the things that I said. They didn't use any of it. They were giddy and excited, jumping up and down after my interview, saying this is great. They loved Ryan's uh, stand-up that he did. And all of it was left on the floor. Now, I have to recall something here. A while back, this is two, three, four years ago, Bill Burns comes to Phoenix, and they're doing a segment on the Phoenix Lights. And I'm not an expert on the Phoenix Lights because when the Phoenix Lights occurred, I didn't see them. I read about it later. You know, that was just me. I was writing books about technology at that time. All right. So they record a segment with me interviewing Bill Burns about eight or nine minutes. No, never showed up. Yeah, well, that's, that's how the cookie crumbles. Right. They decided that I, I guess, was not worthy of having my voice and likeness appear on the UFO Hunters show. I mean, no one gets paid for it anyway, so I guess it doesn't matter, does it? Well, I got paid. I don't do these things anymore without getting paid, Gene. Except for your show. Well, there is that, but you you got paid for that? You're darn right I did. Well, then I guess you have nothing to complain about. I'm actually kind of happy they left me out of the mix. Uh, that, it's one thing to, you know, caress a, a billionaire's toes. It's another thing to stomp on them, so, you know. I'm I, I'm perfectly fine with uh, not being used in the segment. I think it it would have been much stronger if they had actually dove into some of the activity that had been documented up there. But um, hey, you know, water under the bridge. What can you do? Is there still hope we'll get the sons of Jesse Ventura and Oliver Stone on our show? I have a call into the producer. Uh, among the things that I want to discuss is uh, extending an invitation to Ty and Sean, yes. All right. I guess we could hope for that. Yeah, Nothing that'd be else. good. We'll get, we'll get the, the real skinny. We can ask them, hey, guys, why did this end up on the cutting room floor? Or do they want to tell us? And why did the network force you to re-edit what the producer said was the best segment the best show they'd ever done, and it was great. And he said, now it's only good. We had to take a bunch of things out. Now, is that the only episode that had so many things taken out? I'm not sure. I think there may have been one other, possibly two. Um, and, and this is what held the show up for eight months from being, from being aired. Uh, you know, the actual Conspiracy Theory series was uh, delayed eight months. Oh, boy. So, you know, it's power and influence uh, dictates the level of, of uh, the level and, and quality of information that's being relayed out to the American people. And I'm, I'm a little disappointed in Jesse uh, for allowing this to happen. I think, uh, you know, it's a little disingenuous to have a show on conspiracy theory and then allow the subject of your show to dictate what you put out there. Because you know Bigelow had to sign a release uh, form, and, and there's no way that he would have given Blank a permission to use his likeness if he had, didn't have a clause in there that would uh, allow him to demand certain changes be made. So I'm, I'm pretty sure that's what happened, uh, if I had to guess. I'm pretty sure that's what happened. So we'll see. I'll have an update uh, for everybody after I talk to uh, the executive producer of the program, um, who is with 
one of the heads of the production company. We look forward to hearing what happens, to see what happens and why, and whether they're going to admit publicly how this all turned out and what decisions were made. Yeah, well, well I'm going to put a little heat on them. What you're going to hear today on the Powercast, by the way, we're not going to censor. I don't think we've ever censored an episode. I mean, we do a little bit of shave and haircut kind of post-production where we clean it up a little bit. But that's about it. Maybe we eliminate one of the seven words that occasionally are used, but that's it. We have a return visitor today. Well, yeah, we do. Uh, Gary David's coming back. He has a new book out called Star Shrines and Earthworks of the Desert Southwest. Gary, of course, was one of the principal team members uh, who actually came up with the idea of going to the confluence of the Little Colorado and Colorado Rivers that we talked about uh, with J.C. Johnson on the show a couple of months back. And uh, Gary's an archaeoastronomer that has just uncovered some amazing correlations between sacred sites and village sites uh, of the ancient Hopi and how they perfectly line up with constellations in the, in the sky. Uh, he's come up with some more really interesting information in this book. I think we're going to get into a little bit about Hopi prophecy and um, some of the stranger things that uh, he's encountered in his research and investigations out on the, in the desert southwest of uh, the United States. Gary David, joining Gene and Chris, you're in The Paracast. Neighbors, let's talk body language. You know, when meeting in person, we express so much through the raise of an eyebrow, a nod of agreement. These simple gestures help us communicate more effectively and get positive things done. That's why I recommend go to meeting with HD faces. You can meet face-to-face with colleagues and clients no matter where they are. GoToMeeting takes simple online meetings a big step forward with the highest quality HD video conferencing. Share how GoToMeeting allows you to easily collaborate with your team. Try GoToMeeting free for 30 days. Don't wait for this special offer. Visit GoToMeeting.com, click the Try It Free button, and use the promo code PODCAST. Remember, once again, neighbors, use the promo code PODCAST. Try GoToMeeting. Visit GoToMeeting.com and click the Try It Free button. Use the promo code PODCAST. Friends, this is Alex Jones for MidasResources.com. For more than 15 years, I have exclusively used Midas Resources for all my precious metal needs. Whether it's bullion or collectibles you're looking for, Midas Resources is simply the best. I own my gold as a hedge against inflation. This Federal Reserve fiat currency could go the way of the Deutschmark and the Weimar Republic anytime. In these historically dangerous times, it makes sense to physically hold gold and silver. Midas already has some of the best deals in the industry. But if you give them a call and mention the radio special, they will give you a list of the day's super specials. Midas Brokers are standing by to answer all your questions at 800-686-2237. They also have a lot of informative free literature explaining the opportunities and risk of holding precious metals. They are ready to answer your questions at 800-686-2237. Again, that's 800-686-2237. Iodine protection packs from HempUSA.org are now in stock for immediate delivery worldwide. Our iodine protection packs include micro plant powder, green life kelp, red palm oil, and our clear roll-on iodine that will feed the body the iodine it needs. All iodine protection packs are in stock. 
save you money, and ship for free in all 50 states. Visit HempUSA.org or call 908-691-2608 today. HempUSA.org has a revolutionary wonder food for detoxing the body and rebuilding the immune system. Microplant powder can help unclog arteries and soften heart valves while removing heavy metals, virus, fungus, bacteria, and parasites. Plus, it cleans and purifies the blood, lungs, stomach, and colon. Keep your body clean with Microplant powder. Visit us at HempUSA.org or call 908-691-2608 today. Are you still a traditional smoker? Now experience a new lifestyle and try vaping with e-cigarettes by LeSig. Imagine no ashes, stains, nasty smell, or coughing and hacking. With LeSig e-cigarettes revolutionary microelectronic technology, rechargeable battery, and unique replaceable cartridge, you'll get all the benefits and satisfaction of smoking without the hazards. Choose your taste from a wide variety of our new American-made vaporian e-liquids at LeSig.com. And LeSig smokes the competition by serving thousands of worldwide customers with real people customer service, fast, free, same-day shipping, and a 30 day warranty and satisfaction guarantee so are you ready for a new vaping lifestyle then call 870-518-4307 that's 870-518-4307 or visit lesig.com spelled l-e-c-i-g.com lesig e-cigarettes for today's modern smoker we'd like to hear from you if you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. With Gene and Chris, you're in the Paracast. We are enjoying a return visit from Gary David. Man, we'll talk about star people and stargates and all that stuff. But it looks like not only was Chris sort of on a TV show this past few days, I say sort of because of the fact that they put so much of what he did on the cutting room floor, but you, Gary, were also on a show. Tell us about that. Yes, uh, the show was called 2012, The Coming Apocalypse, and it was on the History Channel. And I saw the the, uh, promo for it on the website, and there were the this couple clutching each other and they both wore gas masks and i thought oh no here it comes and uh, my my suspicions were confirmed it was uh you know just dire everything dire about hopi prophecies just uh massive violence and destruction at every you know every shot and then they'd come back to me talking about hopi prophecy and how <laughs> There was, you know, and they do, they do have oh. some, some uh, rather uh, frightening things uh, in their prophecies, and uh, you know, I, I tried to stress to the producer, please try to get something positive about the Hopi transition from the fourth world to the fifth world, and uh, well, he did. It was it lasted about ten seconds, right at the end of the show, <laughs> but. But everything you can imagine, asteroids, nuclear war, comets, um, just um, any kind of um, mass destruction you can imagine. Gary, if you're a conspiracy theorist, you are in conspiracy heaven with this thing. (laughs) Undoubtedly, yeah, you 
pick your uh, pick your poison, you know, on that show. How how the world will end, and then of course they had a uh, survivalist couple in uh, Illinois. It was a whole family, really, a very suburban family, you know, uh, preparing for the end of the world, and uh, it was it was uh, just uh, over the top all the way. Well, did you read about the uh, the Russian government having to come out to uh, allay people's fears about uh, the coming end of the world? That there's this huge uh, wave of almost hysteria sweeping through Russia. People are wow. making all sorts of money on on preparation uh, supplies, which always include a bottle of vodka. I noticed. Um, what is there uh, about the bottle of vodka that enhances one's survivability, or is it that if you drink enough vodka, you won't care? I think it's a combination of that. Plus, you can use it as a disinfectant for the uh, the, the horrible le- lesions that'll break out uh, from the uh, apocalyptic uh, plagues that that are going to be sweeping through humankind or something. I, I guess it's a good topical topical anesthetic. Or uh, something. Plus, it it keeps you warm when the power goes out and you lose your That's heat. True. And, you know, <laughs> at least for a couple of days. That's you know. what I use it for. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Well, so you weren't very happy about uh, about the the spin, huh? Well, let's let's talk about Hopi prophecy for a bit. Uh, it's a fascinating subject. You know a lot about it. Um, I'm very interested in that subject as well. You have a, a very good chapter in your new book uh, that that really breaks it down. Uh, I think admirably, probably the best look at this subject that I've ever seen uh, in terms of you know just real cut and dried. Uh, Information. Let's talk about Hopi prophecy, starting at the beginning. And um, and I, you know, I realize you're not a Hopi, so you can't really be definitive in some of the things that you say. But but I'll tell you, for the amount of research that you've done, you are one of the few people that really have a leg up on that subject. Well, I think the Hopi have uh, what might be called a legacy of prophecy. It's so pervasive in their culture. Uh, and they've they've uh, had these prophecies for generations, and they've been passed down. And um, there are so many different strands, and so many different elders giving conflicting prophecies that it's sometimes, you know, pretty confusing. Of course, Frank Waters in in Book of Hopi came out with a number of dire prophecies in in the uh, in the sixties with with his book, and uh, this kind of, kind of started the the ball rolling. But I think the Hopi, you know, the, the, the prime uh, prophecy was probably the gourd of ashes falling on the earth. Um, there, the uh, elders were talking about this gourd of ashes for, for hundreds of years, perhaps. When this finally happened in 1945 at uh, Hiroshima and Nagasaki, the Hopi elders, many of them based in uh, the village of Hope Villa on the Third Mesa, they started to come forth with some of these prophecies. Dan Kajangba was a uh, was one of the main uh, men uh, elders there, and and they had a newsletter uh, uh, talking about these these prophecies. So um, it really started going in the '60s and the '70s. The prophecies were uh, brought out to the world at large, and. Um, the world started to take notice of the Hopi people in general. You know, before that time, uh, there wasn't too much, uh, other than a few ethnographers in the late 19th century and early 20th century, there there wasn't too much attention paid to the Hopi until they started to bring forth these prophecies. So is that politically correct? You can't get attention unless you have some prophecies to go along with whatever you're trying to sell? 
Well, I, I guess that's the way it works in the in the media culture like this. You know, I mean, you uh, you know, of course, the Maya have similar prophecies, and the the uh, the Vu, their uh, major text that deal with a lot of these prophecies that that parallel with the Hopi prophecies, and um, you know, the the prophecies are varied in both cultures. There are a lot of different signs that the end of the age or the uh, the Hopi fourth world uh, is ending. And, you know, we could talk about some of the specific signs if you want to. Yeah, uh, let's go ahead. Didn't Thomas Benyaka, uh go to the U.N. on a couple of occasions and, and give uh, that august body uh, warnings that we're, uh, we're approaching uh, tenuous times? Yeah, the Thomas Banyanka uh, and others. Uh, other, In fact, the Hopi sent four different delegations to the U.N., and this is one of the, the prophecies that has been passed down. The Hopi will go to the house of Micah four times and plea for peace, but uh, they will be ignored. Now, the house of Micah, and Micah, of course, is a, is a transparent uh, mineral that, you know, is used sometimes, was used for, for glass. You know, the settlers used Micah as uh, windows for windows. But this house of Micah, you know, uh, the UN building, the Hopi went there four times, and they try to stress that the world needs to change its ways. But, of course, uh, the U.N. people just said, well, thanks. Thanks for coming, uh, uh, folks. Uh, have a nice day, you know. <laughs> so <laughs> The door hit your backside on the way out there, Thomas. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so let's, let's, uh, let's go ahead and, and talk about Hopi prophecy, and, and, and let's give our listeners a sense of kind of a – I guess a synthesized view of what these prophecies are. There, as you mentioned, there are a number of them. Uh, there are some that kind of conflict with one another. But I think you've done a good job coming up with a with a consensus version of them. Let's uh, let's go ahead and and start ticking them off. Before we tick off, before our sponsors get ticked off, which of course we don't want to happen because otherwise we're not going to be in business. We have Gary David, and we're focusing now on Hopi prophecies with Gene and Chris. You're in the Paracast. America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade. We are the GCN Radio Network. If you want to get your website online and you need reliable service, first-class service at the lowest possible price, there's only one place to go. Well, DreamHost has a special promotion with our show where they'll offer you unlimited disk space, unlimited bandwidth, one-click web apps such as WordPress, 24-7 support. You can save over $55. You want to know how? Go to DreamHost.com slash radio, DreamHost.com slash radio. Magazine provides true reports of the strange and unknown. Keep up with the latest on angels and miracles, psychic phenomena, ghosts, UFOs, life after death, and much, much more. To receive your free issue of Fate Magazine, call now at 1-800-728-2730 or visit their website at www.fatemag.com. That's 1-800-728-2730. What are you waiting for? Your fate awaits. 
It's time for a home security quiz. Answer this. What effective home security device is smaller than a coffee cup, fakes out burglars into thinking someone is home at your house while you're away, plugs into any wall outlet, is recommended by many police departments, and sells for less than $35? Yes, it's fake TV. This year, about one in every 50 U.S. homes will have a break-in, with burglars usually picking the easy target, a dark house that looks like no one is home. Fake TV is a small electronic security device that makes it look like someone is home watching TV by simulating the light from a real TV. It's like a lamp on a timer, but far more convincing. And for only $34.95, fake TV could be the difference between coming home to a secure house or one that's been ransacked. Go to faketv.com or call 1-877-5-FAKE-TV. That's 877-532-5388 or go to faketv.com. Fake TV, the burglar deterrent. We have witnessed two terrible storms in the east, but we are still in the eye of the perfect storm. The most devastating economic condition since the Great Depression. America's worst drought in agricultural history. And now the economic results of the presidential election. This perfect storm is a huge threat to everyone's food supply. I just doubled down and got even more supplies from eFoods Direct, and I recommend you do the same. It's time to get your own supply from eFoods Direct. I know I won't be standing in a bread line trading my freedom for food. I'm taking control of my future. And you're nuts if you don't do the same. Go to eFoodsDirect.com forward slash Alex to find the specials. And you can start with a holiday gift pack that's normally $80, now under 50 bucks. Remember, I can warn you, but I can't feed you. Call 800-409-5633 or eFoodsDirect.com forward slash Alex. Would you rather prepare six months too early or one day too late? 409-5633 or eFoodsDirect.com forward slash Alex. Hello? Congratulations. For what? For losing all that weight. How'd you do it so fast? ASAP. ASAP what? What's that mean? Are you ready to get as skinny as possible, as soon as possible, as simple as possible, and as sexy as possible? I'm listening. Then get with the ASAP program. It's real and it works. No smooth talk, no slick advertising, and no exaggerated claims of success. I've got to know more. Welcome to ASAP, as slim as possible. Whether you have 10, 20, or 50 pounds to lose, ASAP is your weight loss answer. ASAP targets the abnormal fat reserves and makes them available to be burned as fuel and contains no caffeine or hormones. Order ASAP at wholesale prices or join the team to share the business with others. Visit GCNteam.com or call 877-878-4203. GCNteam.com or call 877-878-4203. Lose weight and look great with ASAP, as slim as possible. This is Leslie Kane, and I'm with the Coalition for Freedom of Information, and you are listening to the Paracast. Hopi prophecies and then some. Lots of interesting, fascinating stuff to discuss for this session with Gary David. Chris raised the issue. Gary, your response? Mm -hmm. Like I say, there are a lot of different prophecies we could uh, focus on. What I found really interesting was um, the white feather prophecies. Uh, these are specific, nine specific prophecies. Uh, White Feather, uh, he was uh, a, an elder from the Bear Clan. And um, this uh, minister was driving across Arizona in the summer of 1958. And White Feather was walking along the road. And uh, David Young, the minister, stopped to pick up White Feather, give him a ride. And they, they were uh, in the car and they. 
they probably sat in silence for a while, you know, and, and uh, Indians are, are uh, not uncomfortable with uh, silence, unlike uh, non-Indians or some non-Indians anyway. Eventually, uh, Whitefeather started to open up and say that, well, his sons were all dead and he was soon to pass on to the spirit world. And he wanted to pass on these things that his grandfathers had told him, these prophecies, these uh, signs that the fourth world uh, would end. And um, some of the signs uh, have uh, come to pass. For instance, the first sign was the uh, people with white skin would come to the Hopi land and bring uh, sticks that struck like thunder. And, of course, these are the, the rifles that... Uh, the white man brought uh, another prophecy was um, there would be spinning wheels filled with voices and you can interpret this in a number of ways it might be uh, the spinning wheels that that wagons uh, you can look at a wagon wheel spinning and it, it's kind of words like that or, or or it might be a modern day car you know so uh, that's another uh, one of the prophecies that have come to pass and then uh, another prophecy was uh, a beast uh, that looked like a buffalo but had great long horns would, would come and overrun the land in large numbers. And, of course, the longhorn cattle is, uh, would uh, fit that, that description pretty well. Another prophecy that Whitefeather told uh, uh, the minister, David Young, um, snakes of iron would uh, crisscross the land. And this, uh, the snakes of iron, of course, are the railroad tracks that brought the the white men to the West. Um, a further prophecy, uh, a giant spider's web will encompass the whole land, will be, you know, will be covered with a giant spider's web at the end of the fourth world. And this happened in the 19th century with the telegraph, now power lines and telephone lines. And, and now, of course, we have the Internet, the, the World Wide Web. It's a, an actual spider's web of communication that we use to uh, talk all around the world. So a lot of these things are coming to pass as we speak. Uh, one particular one in, uh, that happened recently in the summer of uh, 2010, uh, the prophecy was that the sea would turn black and many of the creatures in it would die. And, of course, the Gulf oil spill uh, was all about that in, in uh, 2010. Indeed, the sea turned black and uh, a lot of the marine life uh, perished. One thing about prophecies, though, sometimes we have to look at this and say, are we stretching the meaning? You know, we're taking something that's very general. And we understand if you're trying to predict something that maybe hasn't been invented yet, you're not going to be as specific as maybe we are in today's scientifically oriented society. But the key is here, and some of the skeptics will say, you know what? What you're doing here is you are manipulating these prophecies, very general, to make them look like there's something specific. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, uh, the Hopi and other native peoples, they speak in a symbolic language, in the, in the language of symbols. As you know, if you read, if you read any poetry or, or poetic language, that can be interpreted in a number of ways. Um, it's not, uh, it's not, prophecy is not empirical science. And I think we want to try to, uh, you know, there's an art, an art to interpreting prophecy as well as, as uh, just try to divine the meaning uh, logically. I mean, you have to kind of see what's BS 
and what what rings true to you. And I think uh, everybody uh, has to do that for him or herself to right. interpret and these things. Yeah. The Hopi themselves are the ones that are interpreting these modern um, fulfillments of very old um, prophecy. Um, they're the ones that are coming up, actually, with the with the attributions. Um, one prophecy that you hear a lot about in the New Age community is the the Blue Star Kachina prophecy. Now, this is not from the original White Feather collection right. of prophecies, but there have been mentions uh, up at Hopi, including uh, Grandfather Martin. Um, I think Thomas Banyaka mentioned the Blue, Blue Star Kachina. I always thought that this was something that um, – was not really part of the original prophecies, but somehow it seems that the Hopi have embraced this particular aspect of Hopi prophecy. What do you know about the Blue Star Kachina, uh, where this particular thing may have originated, and and what are the Hopi thinking about this right now? Um, well, it's hard to say what the Hopi think, because when you say the Hopi, that's really a misnomer. And a lot of people are uh, confused by this because the Hopi are really not a monolithic tribe. They're a, uh, a number of clans that came together at the center of the world, those three Hopi mesas that the, that the Hopi currently live on. Well, we're and, all Hopi, according to the Hopi. Hopi means the people. So, well, according- the, the, well, yeah, but a lot, of, uh, a lot of Native American groups designate themselves as the people, you know, in, in, in their own language, you know. So I don't know if we are all Hopi, you know, uh, I think that would be maybe uh, stretching it a little bit. But as far as the Blue Star Kachina, you know, the the first that I've heard of this was in Frank Waters' book, you know, the Sakwa Sohu, it's, it's called. And the Blue Star would appear in the heavens. Now, many interpretations of what the Blue Star is. Some say it hasn't appeared yet. Others say that it was Hale Bop back in March of uh, 1997, and um, that brilliant blue comet that's streaked across the sky. And uh, at the same time, you know, many people were out watching this comet when uh, the Phoenix Lights appeared, and um, thousands of people saw saw the Phoenix Lights. And uh, but uh, the the blue star appears in the heavens, and apparently the blue star Kachina takes off his mask and this will signal the end of all Hopi ceremonies the the whole ceremonial cycle will cease at that point so um, that's that's the basic story and um, you know I I don't know whether you can give this particular story a lot of credence or not I mean I kind of take it with a grain of salt myself Uh, a lot of people uh, some Hopis say that um, the main informant for uh, Frank Waters, uh, White Bear Fredericks, was not a true Hopi. He didn't have the true Hopi knowledge. He wasn't uh, part of the uh, spiritual. Uh, he didn't have an, a clan affiliation that was uh, part of the spiritual clan, the Bear Clan, for instance. So, um, you know, he really was not talking the true Hopi way. So, you know, I, I think Frank Waters' work is useful, but I don't, you know, that's, a, a lot of people say that's uh, that's the book of the Hopi, you know, the 
one source you can go to, but I, I don't think that's really true. So, so there may be disinformation uh, salted through that that work. Then, it's what you're yeah, suggesting. Sure, yeah. And uh, I've heard from some Hopi say that well, this guy White Bear, he was kind of loud and ostentatious and very non-Hopi. You know, uh, he was gregarious and you know just kind of not that the typical Hopi character that that you associate with with the Hopi people. I'll tell you what, we're going to explore the Hopi and the prophecies and what might happen later this month, which means, of course, that if the world ends, there'll be no more episodes of the Paracast from this world. Gary David joins Gene and Chris. You're in the Paracast. Are you tired of searching for great talk radio? Something more important. Search no more. We are the GCN Radio Network. We also have swag. You know, we have all these exclusive Paracast things that you can buy. We've got like, I guess, 60 or so different items. And entails T-shirts, sleeves for notebook computers, iPad cases, mouse pads, the Paracast Jumbo Tote Bag... All sorts of T-shirts and jackets and stuff like that for men and women. We have a Paracast aluminum water bottle. All this stuff, you go to store.theparacast.com, store.theparacast.com. What makes it special is that the items are the best quality. Great T-shirts, fabrics, and they have our official logo on them. That's what makes them special in multiple sizes and colors. We even have stuff for children. Stuff for women, stuff for men. We have all sorts of sizes, like small up to X large. A lot of good stuff. That's the swag from the Paracast. You go to store.theparacast.com. Stop by and take a shopping tour. For all women and men who wish their fingernails were harder, this Christmas, wishes come true. Introducing Nails of Steel, a new revolutionary nail hardener. Nails of Steel puts muscle into your soft nails with a creamy, rich, natural herbal formula that is antifungal, hypoallergenic, and biodegradable. Just massage a drop of Nails of Steel over your natural or polished nails and go. With Nails of Steel, there's virtually no drying time. Within the first week, you'll notice your nails getting stronger to eliminate breaking, chipping, splitting, hangnails, Nails and fungus. Nails of Steel makes a great stocking stuffer for women or men. And right now, get three one-ounce bottles for only $74.95. That's about a $5 price break on each bottle that'll last you for months. Visit nailsofsteel.com. That's nailsofsteel.com. Nails of Steel. It's like a salon in a bottle. That's the sound of your door being kicked in by an intruder with a single kick. That's the sound of the same door now protected by the Door Sentinel at MySafeDoor.com. Go to MySafeDoor.com right now and watch the amazing video. At MySafeDoor.com, you'll learn how to turn your home into a fortress with the Door Sentinel. 16 kicks later... And the Door Sentinel is still holding strong. MySafeDoor.com. That's MySafeDoor.com.
Hi, this is Ted Anderson. Have you ever wondered why banks, stockbrokers, investment advisors won't talk about gold IRAs? They've been available since 1986, yet the financial industry won't recognize the value of gold for your retirement. Gold has outperformed paper investments, yet no word about IRAs. If you would like to have gold for your retirement, call 800-686-2237. Don't get left behind by rising inflation and low returns. Call 800-686-2237. Secure your future and call 1-800-686-2237. Oh, my aching back. I've got to get some relief for my arthritis. When arthritis pain rears its ugly head, rub on Smooth Gator, the 60-second pain relief. Smooth Gator provides topical relief from head to toe and everywhere in between to stop pain fast. Smooth Gator is made with all natural oils, including wintergreen, aloe vera, and eucalyptus in a safe, non-greasy formula. Rub Smooth Gator on your neck, back, legs, knees, hands, any muscle or joint where pain from arthritis springs strains or backache needs fast 60 second pain relief smooth gator can also be used for allergies sinuses fibromyalgia and rheumatoid arthritis in the time it took to listen to this message you could have had relief with smooth gator the 60 second pain relief go to smoothgator.com or phone 727-278-3137 call 727-278-3137 or click smoothgator.com the 60 second pain relief With Gene and Chris, we're exploring ancient or modern-day Hopi legends with Gary A. David. Gary, I guess I'll ask that question. What's being said about December 2012? Anything in Hopi tradition that causes us to be concerned? Well, every December, the Hopi do the winter solstice ceremony and i'm sure that the uh, spiritual hopi will be down in their kivas on that date performing the uh, soyal ceremony they do that every every year uh, more or less to bring the sun back to hopi land you know uh, the sun creeps a little farther south on the horizon as as it rises every day uh, from the uh, vernal equinox onward to the, to the winter solstice, first day of uh, winter, and the Hopi are uh, try to bring bring the sun back with this particular ceremony. And it's interesting. A side note here: it's interesting that this winter solstice ceremony is synchronized by the constellation Orion, as it appears uh, in the overhead hatchway of Akiva, and Akiva is. Uh, an underground uh, a communal prayer chamber. So um, they start this winter solstice ceremony, this solar ceremony, when or- the belt stars of Orion appear in the overhead hatchway uh, of the Kiva. So I think that that's quite interesting that uh, a stellar uh, configuration starts this solar ceremony. But uh, anyway, uh, the Hopi are never specific about the end of the fourth world or that particular date. That that really has no meaning in the Hopi culture. Uh, you know, the Maya are were obsessed and uh, to some extent still are obsessed with time, with their uh, long count calendar, which is no longer used, and the the shorter 268 Sulkin calendar, which is still used by the Maya, and. Uh, the, the Maya uh, have 
determined, uh, you know, thousands and millions of years in the past and the future with their calendars. They they foresee dates incredibly far into the future and incredibly far into the past. You know, I have to ask a question here. Why so many calendars? Isn't one more than enough? You know, you'd have to ask the Maya that. Uh, you know, it's it's a very complex system of interlocking calendars that uh, and none of them end either by the way it's like saying yeah. our calendar ends sure yeah it's a it's a cycle we're uh, at the end of the 13th baktun right now uh coming up and that's a, a 5125 year cycle that you know will will repeat it will just keep going and that's where a lot of these doom and gloom shows try to hype the whole thing and say that the world is going to end well, of course, these shows have to realize if you say the world's going to end, your show's going to end, and you're not going to have to worry about any more listeners, so why predict that except to get <laughs> you know, immediate ratings? You want to get ratings for that show. Hey, we can prove the world is going to end, folks, and here's all the evidence, and here's the Mayan prophecies, and this prophecy, and that prophecy, and this calendar. And by the way, tune into next week's episode and next month's episode <laughs> after the world ends so we can sell you more stuff from our advertisers and predict more disasters. Yeah. Well, I, th- I think a lot of it has to do with the Judeo-Christian slant. I mean, a lot of people are have this idea of the book of Revelation and end times. And whether they're a, a devout Christian or not, it's kind of been planted in our our psyches growing up in the West here that a revelation might be about uh, the end of this world and coming very soon. And, of course, uh, the evangelicals uh, are are rushing to uh, embrace this whole thing and trash the earth in the process because it's not going to matter. Well, then you don't have to worry about global warming. You know, that's an interesting question here, man-made global warming. What do the Hopis say, if anything, about that? Well, I think the Hopi, um, as far as I can tell, connect natural disasters and and climate change and tsunamis and earthquakes that's all part of um the way humans are treating the earth it's it's all connected it's because of our actions on this on this earth it's not just random weather events that are are causing it it's because of uh, human corruption and dissolution and uh, devolution and just um and it's happened before in in uh, hopi culture this is you know happened three times before according to the hopi so they look at this rather philosophically and say well yeah the the humankind is just kind of devolving and getting more corrupt and quayana squatsi is the term life right, out of balance yeah life in chaos life out of balance and uh you know the the hopi are all about balance that's why they do their ceremonies that's their whole role as they see themselves in a global sense they they are literally keeping the world in balance by doing the, their ceremonies and uh, the ceremonies are gradually being uh, eroded uh, by various things, the, the outside world, the uh, materialism, of, uh, you know, it's uh, you can see it happening on the reservation. Um, you know, some of the some of the uh, people, Hopi people, embrace uh, technology and have electricity and water to their house, and and other villages uh, refuse to do this. 
So it's a kind of a mixed bag on in Hopi land even. Uh, the Hopi are not united in this in this way. And of course there's always been this struggle between the progressives that want to bring in all the stuff that the white men can offer and the traditionalists who carry on these prophecies and try to do the ceremonies and try to perform the kachina dances as as uh, as as close to what their their grandfathers taught them as possible so it's um it's it's a very uh, it's a struggle constant struggle to keep this ceremonial cycle going because it takes a lot of effort just a physical effort and uh, you have to uh, make prayer feathers and and plan ahead and you have to even the food you have to get the 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 feast ready to to feed the people so it's a lot of a lot of energy that the rest of us don't have to worry about but they're trying desperately to keep the the culture going keep the language uh, teach the young people uh, the hopi language and that's harder to do when they're staring at their uh, video games and uh, you know they're they're uh, texting uh, on their iPhones. It's really, <laughs> it's it's a hard thing to do to keep the the Hopi life going. You know, what's interesting here. It's almost like the problems faced, I guess, by the Amish, where they wanted their traditional lifestyle, but more and more people leave that and mm-hmm. associate with quote unquote the English. Uh, yeah, I I never thought of it that way, but yeah, I guess you're right on that. You know, uh, they're living uh, very similar types of uh, lives, and they, they a lot of them uh, think that that the technology tends to take them away from the ways of the Creator. Uh, and you know, you you see this uh, embodied in uh, Prophecy Rock, which is uh, located on the Hopi Reservation. These two paths that uh, that we can take in this in this world and uh, you know I, we can get into uh, prophecy rock if you want to and description of it um, it's um a, a patrick live on the on the hopi reservation and uh, yeah go for it yeah yeah uh, i was there uh, last um last summer and and we did a a ceremony a, a corn pollen ceremony at Prophecy Rock, and uh, Grandfather Martin was there, and uh, he he performed the ceremony, and uh, he was very upbeat about uh, about the fourth world, uh, you know, transition from the fourth world to the fifth, and and uh, he he um, said that you know we, we you just have to keep going through this this hard time. He said, uh, you know, the there are basically two different lines on Prophecy Rock. And they're diagonally across the the rock carved, and they're two parallel lines. Okay, and the lower line um, is the line of the one heart. Uh, that's the line that is true to the ways of the Creator. And um, this this line has a figure of a Hopi uh, tending corn on it, so uh, living in the traditional manner. Uh, there are also three circles on this particular line. And that corresponds to the three world shakings or perhaps three world wars that we'll have to encounter. Um, and there's another line that's parallel to this above it. And there are some figures holding hands on this line. There are four figures, I believe, that are on this line. And I'm getting into more detail about what's going on there. Gary, David, joining Gene and Chris, you're in the Paracast. Paracast. 
The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. GCN. Great talk radio starts here. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. If you'd like to listen to GCN programs on the go, I have great news. GCN has created a Droid and iPhone application, and it's free. Just as easy as going to GCNlive.com, click on the banner and download. Before you know it, you'll be listening to your favorite hard-hitting GCN shows, live or on demand, right on your Droid or iPhone, 24-7 and on the go. So download the Droid and iPhone app free by clicking on the banner at GCNlive.com. Thanks again for listening to GCNlive.com. Again, that's GCNlive.com. Hi, this This is Ted Anderson. Have you ever wondered why banks, stockbrokers, investment advisors won't talk about gold IRAs? They've been available since 1986, yet the financial industry won't recognize the value of gold for your retirement. Gold has outperformed paper investments, yet no word about IRAs. If you would like to have gold for your retirement, call 800-686-2237. Don't get left behind by rising inflation and low returns. Call 800-686-2237. Secure your future and call 1-800-686-2237. We can buy GMOs stressed out about money and blasted by the electric environment. Hi, I'm Pastor Ginny, and that was the state I was in back in 2010. Then I learned about RNA drops. I learned that 97% of my DNA that scientists have called junk is actually packed with millions of gene switches that play a critical role in controlling how my cells, organs, and other tissues behave. I learned I don't have to put up with disease decay or decline like I'd been conditioned to believe. I began taking RNA Drops, a 100% natural formula designed to turn on those switches and provide me with amazing health and joy. Learn more about RNA Drops and order a free sample today. Visit rnafreesample.com. That's rnafreesample.com. Or call toll-free 888-577-3703. Pay only shipping and handling for a free 30-day supply of RNA drops. Get the information you need and the health you want at rnafreesample.com. Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now... Here's Gene Steinberg. Okay, we had Gary David with a lengthy description. Would you kind of bring our listeners to the next stage? Sure, yeah. I was talking about these two lines, symbolic lines, two different paths. The lower path is the traditional way of the Hopi, carved into this rock. Uh, The Hopi uh, tend corn and live close to the earth. Uh, they're humble people. And then the upper line, which is parallel to it, going off uh, towards the right, uh, has a number of figures in it, on it, uh, located. This line ends in a zigzag. Uh, it, it, just, it just stops. And uh, the zigzag goes up, and then it just stops, like it stops in midair. And this is the way that the, the, the fourth world will end if we keep, if we keep on this path. Now, the lower line continues around the side of the rock. And um, it's interesting that Grandfather Martin talks about this, this line continuing along the side of the rock. It doesn't stop like the upper line. And he said sometimes he can go to Prophecy Rock, and this, this line that continues along the side of the rock is not there anymore. And then I'll go back the next day, and it is there. So Prophecy Rock is undergoing constant change? Well, Grandfather Martin is a caretaker of this, and I've seen him 
re-incise some of the lines on there. Okay. Now, when you say that, are you saying the rock is almost fluid? That it's not a constant set of pictures, but it changes from day to day? That's what Grandfather Martin claims that, you know, this, this line, this line, he calls it the line of everlasting life. And sometimes he'll go there and the line has kind of faded away. Other times he'll go there and the line is, is back there. So I, it's kind of a mystical occurrence. If indeed it, uh, if this is happening, it's kind of a mystery that these lines would appear and uh, disappear and then reappear again. Yeah, both both times I've been there, uh, you can faintly make it out. But um, I could I could see with lighting conditions up there being the way they are that if the light isn't right, that it that line is very faint. So sure, yeah, it and um, that's true with any petroglyphs. I mean, if you've gone petroglyph hunting in the Southwest, you know that you can walk by a whole panel of petroglyphs, and if the light is not right, you know you just won't see them. So you know this. This is what might be taking place. I'm, I'm not sure. But it also might signal the, uh, the tentativeness of, uh, of this everlasting lifeline that uh, he claims that will bring us into the fifth world. And, you know, I, it's interesting. You know, he said this is everlasting life. And I took a compass and stood with my back to the plane where this line goes across the side of the rock. And I took a reading with my back to the to this line, looking out towards the eastern horizon. It's the place where the the summer solstice sunrise is, exactly sixty degrees azimuth. Now let me ask you a question here: Is it possible that we're seeing these differences, or they're reporting this because of the way the sun reflects upon this rock? Yeah, I think that that might be one explanation. That that's a logical explanation. That is. You know what you would say that that would be the logical way to do it because, like I say, petroglyphs, rock carvings um, can disappear. Uh, you know, according to the way the light is, and you're walking around and you'll miss something, and you'll walk by the same place a little later on, and and it's it's back there. That's plausible. Yeah. Are there photographs of this rock? showing changes or differences that we could point to because the skeptics are going to ask for that. They'll say, all right, so someone says that this image is here today, it's gone tomorrow, maybe it's reflections, but can you show us what it looks like? Yeah, well, well, I have some pictures of it myself, but I've seen previous drawings, like Frank Waters' book has has a drawing of Prophecy Rock, and I tried to compare it with what I saw and there is a, uh, for instance, a swastika on the rock, and also an iron cross or a Maltese cross on the rock in Frank Waters' drawing. But I did not see these. I did not see these at all. This is a drawing. It's not a photo. Um, right. Yeah. Okay. So a drawing can contain anything. Oh yeah, sure. Yeah. Uh, but- yeah, and there are plenty of photos of Prophecy Rock. It's probably the most famous Hopi petroglyph, actually. Right, and it's yeah. it's also uh, much to my surprise. I found out it's a fairly recent petroglyph. It's uh, I think early twentieth century or possibly late nineteenth century. What do we know about the history of that particular uh, I, carving? I think you're right, Chris, because you know I've I've looked at a lot of petroglyphs in the Southwest, and this looks fairly recent as far as uh, a, a patination. Um, uh, patination is where uh, you, you know uh, the 
a desert patina kind of uh, uh, darkens certain rocks. And when you carve into the rock, it's uh, it's uh, lighter underneath. There's a lighter surface is uh, is um, revealed. But this one looks up, uh, doesn't look like it has much patina on it. Uh, so it, I would agree it's probably early 20th century. And so uh, and uh, I saw uh, right behind Prophecy Rock, I saw what looked like much older petroglyph, petroglyphs um, of, uh, of of clouds and a, and a figure. So, uh, now, how far can we date these shrines or? petroglyphs or whatever well it's very hard to, to date uh petroglyphs gene because um you know there's uh, no carbon dating or carbon you can uh, you, know, you more or less have to look at the uh repatination of the petroglyph that means the the desert varnish it's also called that rocks get uh, uh, after after they're weathered um, you know, you carve into the rock, and you can see the undersurface, and it's lighter. And then, if there's if if that's revarnished, so to speak, by natural processes, then it will be a, a very much older petroglyph, and uh, it, it will be more eroded. So, basically, you can only tell by the way it's been eroded, and the amount of patination is on the on the rock surface. Is there any indication here? that possibly some of this stuff, some of these things you see were not drawn by Hopis, but by some other beings, other races, higher beings, whatever? Um, I, I don't believe so. I think these are, these are Hopi, uh, Hopi carvings. Um, the, the one thing, that, the strange thing I, I see with Prophecy Rock is the petroglyph that's adjacent to it is very interesting. It's a, a disc-shaped object, and it looks rather mechanical. And um, it's right next to Prophecy Rock, and it looks like it looks like a flying saucer, basically. And, and it's much older too, by the way. That, that I, particular yeah, carbon. Yeah, I think it's it's more weathered than Prophecy Rock, but it's it's hard to say because, like I said, I saw Grandfather Martin re-incise, re-carve some of the lines in Prophecy Rock when we were standing there. So he he's, he constantly works on Prophecy Rock, whereas he, I don't believe he does this other uh, flying saucer uh, petroglyph. But um, uh, Grandfather Martin tried to explain uh, this, this disc-shaped petroglyph in that he said it was a device or, or machine or mechanism to so that people could talk to each other all over the world. Now, that that was his uh, explanation of this particular disc-shaped or saucer-shaped uh, petroglyph. So this was basically a communicator? Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. Well, and, you can do that with a cell phone, of course, or an iPhone or something like that. Well, yeah, but it's it's shaped very much like a flying saucer. Or So I got the idea of... It might be a satellite or something of some sort. Well, um, that could be a possibility, or maybe they made it that way so Apple wouldn't sue them <laughs> for patent infringement because, you know, Apple sues if the rectangle is the wrong shape or something like that. So rectangles and straight lines, Apple will sue you. You can't have Apple suing you. I'm making light of something that's very serious because this is part of something we've seen around the world, these strange 
objects that look like spaceships, flying ships, whatever. With Gene and Chris, we have Gary David. You're in the Paracast. Ray Perkins, a reclusive veteran burned out from the Gulf War, lives tortured by relentless, perplexing nightmares. Nightmares of a horrific battle in deep space and of a mysterious woman suffering in agony for her devastated world. A woman not yet born, calling across centuries to him. Then, a coincidence leads him to his destiny, his chance to alter the universe. Attack! Attack! Of the Rockwell. The former fiction editor for Star Wars and Indiana Jones, Robert Simpson, writes The soul of the novel Attack of the Rockoids lies in its heart and passion for building a convincing tale of a love that spans a galaxy. A thrilling story. Attack, Attack of the Rockoids is available now. Read a sample chapter and get a special discount off of the cover price at our website, rockoids.com. That's R O C K O I D S.com. Attack, Attack. Of the Rockoids, a novel in the grand science fiction tradition. Gold, it's like nothing else on Earth. From the Romans through the Renaissance, from the Industrial Age to the Space Age, gold has weathered the test of time. For 6,000 years, gold has remained the ultimate store of wealth. According to the World Gold Council and the U.S. Mint, demand is at an all-time high. The stage is being set for the reemergence of gold as the common-sense alternative to a fiat paper currency that gets weaker every day. Midas Resources is proud to offer the hard-hitting report that arms you with the truth you need to protect you and your family from the Fed's plans for your hard-earned money. Don't gamble with your future. Call Midas Resources today and ask for your free copy of As Good As Gold. Call 1-800-686-223. For the report the Fed hopes you'll never see. As good as gold can be yours by calling 800-686-2237. If you have ever thought about owning gold, you must read this report. Call Midas today at 800-686-2237. For all women and men who wish their fingernails were harder, this Christmas, wishes come true. Introducing Nails of Steel, a new revolutionary nail hardener. Nails of Steel puts muscle into your soft nails with a creamy, rich, natural herbal formula that is antifungal, hypoallergenic, and biodegradable. Just massage a drop of Nails of Steel over your natural or polished nails and go. With Nails of Steel, there's virtually no drying time. Within the first week, you'll notice your nails getting stronger to eliminate breaking, chipping, splitting, hangnails, Nails and fungus. Nails of Steel makes a great stocking stuffer for women or men. And right now, get three one-ounce bottles for only $74.95. That's about a $5 price break on each bottle that'll last you for months. Visit nailsofsteel.com. That's nailsofsteel.com. Nails of Steel. It's like a salon in a bottle. You know what happens to your digestive health around the holidays? Right. Unusual schedules and foods you don't normally eat can cause upset stomach and indigestion. But you can prepare your digestive tract with Pro-EM-1 Probiotic Cleanse from Terragonics.com. Pro-EM-1 is all natural and made with certified organic ingredients. It contains no genetically modified ingredients or preservatives and has no animal products, wheat, soy, dairy, or gluten. Pro-EM-1 does not require refrigeration. 
so you can take it with you over the river and through the woods to Grandma's house. Pro-EM1 supports a healthy, regular digestive system, supports weight loss, and improves absorption of food nutrients. Improve your digestion and keep off those extra pounds with Pro-EM1 Probiotic Cleanse. Call or click Terraganix.com, spelled T-E-R-A-G-A-N-I-X.com. Toll free, 866-369-3678. That's 866-369-3678. Terraganix, life's getting better. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. With Gene and Chris, you're in the Paracast, and we have Gary David exploring all sorts of legends of indigenous peoples, the Hopi legends, the petroglyphs, the prophecy rock, little objects that look suspiciously like, hmm, aircraft. How much of that stuff, who knows? Chris, let's just pick up on this and let's move the discussion away from the Hopis to other legends. Okay, well, you know, when you're talking about uh, star shrines and earthworks of the desert southwest, it's kind of hard not to talk about the Hopi because they're pretty much responsible for... uh, the vast majority, I think, of these uh, these just wonderful sites and, and locations. Of course, in Gary's first book, The Orion Zone, he stumbled on a correlation that's, that is still fascinating to me. And he does address this uh, somewhat in his, his latest work as well. But there is a correlation between the constellations and how the array of villages and sacred sites are aligned on, on the planet uh, in the southwest. And they're... they're there seems to be, uh, you know, a direct correlation with uh, with the constellations uh, based around uh, the three belt stars of Orion, which, in Gary's uh, interpretation, seems to indicate the the first, second, and third mesa of the Hopi being the belt star of Orion. Why don't you uh, just quickly give our new listeners a a thumbnail sketch of uh, your archaeoastronomy work uh, as it relates to ancient uh, paleo sites here in the desert southwest? Sure, Chris. Um, I this happened uh, about 15 years ago that I stumbled across this this idea. I had just finished reading a book by Robert Bouval and Adrian Gilbert uh, called The Orion Mystery. And of course, they believe that three major pyramids on the Giza Plateau uh, reflect the belt stars of Orion exactly. And there's a, a, a direct sky-ground correlation between these belt stars that most people can recognize in, in, in the heavens and these three pyramids on the Giza Plateau. And I was driving up to the Hopi Mesas um, in the summer of 1997, and um, I was driving up from the south of, off the Interstate 40, and um, gazing up at these three primary mesas where the Hopi settled about, oh, they settled there about um, 1050, 1100 A.D. and started building pueblos, uh, villages on the on the mesas and at the base of the mesas. And I was gazing out at this, this Hopi uh, center of the world. Um, they like to think of this these mesas as the, the center of the cosmos or the center of the world. And I thought, well, you know, these three mesas up here, maybe there's an Orion correlation right here in Arizona. So, you know, I kind of put that in the back of my mind and went up and, and watched the Kachina dances in the village plaza. 
And then I got back home and I got out a sky chart and got out a um, a map of Arizona and compared the two. And I realized that not only were the belt stars uh, corresponding to the three major mesos, but there was a ruined site or village corresponding to each major star in the constellation Orion. And the the correlation was just uncanny. It was just almost almost exact. And other other uh, villages, ancient villages, also played into it. Over in New Mexico, Chaco Canyon corresponded to the star Sirius. Uh, Chaco Canyon, of course, is the the one of the largest uh, ruin sites in the Southwest, and it corresponded to the brightest star in the sky. This got me really uh, thinking about this um, this sky ground as above, so below f- uh, phenomenon that uh, many ancient cultures, in- including the Egyptians, uh, apparently uh, constructed their their temples and their uh, their monuments according to the stars in the heaven. So it started me on this on this journey almost of of going out to these each one of these sites. And photographing the sites and uh, writing a little, a little bit about each particular site that corresponded to a star in the constellation Orion. Well, Gary, you've done uh, quite a bit of work uh, since the, uh, 1997 uh, looking into these correlations. One of the things that I find uh, fascinating about your work as well is is uh, the little project that you undertake uh, that you undertook a couple of years ago looking at the area around Grand Canyon and the confluence of the Little Colorado River and the Colorado River. And we did have J.C. Johnson on a, a few months back, and uh, we did talk about the trip that we took last May out to uh, uh, Grand Canyon and to the confluence rim. But um, there's been a lot of developments in that story since we uh, we talked about it. Why don't we give uh, our new listeners a quick thumbnail sketch of, of what – what you were able to ascertain from Google Earth one day when you were checking out and doing a flyover uh, the, sure. of the area. I, I'll, I'll tell you how I, I came across this this thing that developed into uh, the uh, the Grand Canyon expedition in uh, May of uh, 2012 this year. Um, I was looking on Google Earth, and I happened to see an odd-looking rectangle and you could tell that this rectangle was made by tire tracks, okay? There are a lot of roads in this area uh, where the, the Little Colorado River flows into the main part of the Colorado River in the Grand Canyon. Right next to this one area where this confluence, as, as it's called, is, is this huge rectangle, like a, a mile uh, long and three-quarters of a mile wide, and it's a perfect rectangle that's flanking uh, flanking the cliff right uh, right by the uh, Colorado River. I thought, well, that's strange. I wonder what the uh, the Navajo are doing there with making this this perfectly straight road. And then I also saw some what looked like uh, parallel lines uh, going off of this rectangle, and uh, what what could these be really what are there irrigation uh you know it just got me going kind of curious what what's out there anyway in this place that's very remote very beautiful and also it's located very close to probably the the most sacred spot in all of hopi and zuni land which is the sipapu or sipapuni 
Sipa Punima, uh, you could call a lot of different things. That's a place of emergence where the Hopi and the Zuni came up out of the earth from the previous world, the third world, and populated uh, the fourth world. They climbed up out of this structure. Now, the, this is an actual geological structure that you can see on Google Earth. It's located on the north bank of the Little Colorado. It's about three and a half miles from the juncture of the two rivers upstream on the Little Colorado. And it's basically a travertine dome. It's, a, it's about 75 feet across a perfect dome-shaped structure made out of basically mineral water that's uh, developed this this dome shape, and in the center of this is a is a, a hole that goes down into this dome. And the people came up from from the third world into the fourth world through this hole. Again, legends of people living in the inner earth. By the way, ladies and gentlemen. The episode in question that we're talking about, the Paracast, was broadcast on June 10th and featured J.C. Johnson and Chris telling about this. We've got so much more to talk about with Gary David, with Gene and Chris. You're in the Paracast. America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade. We are the GCN Radio Network. Graphic Converter is the image manipulation tool for the rest of us. It does not use any database. You get full control of all your files. Want to view the images of a folder? Drag it into Graphic Converter, and a powerful browser opens up to show your image files. You could use it for slideshows. You could use it to import images from digital cameras or from scanners. Need to do some image editing? You can do that, too, in Graphic Converter. Also, print catalogs convert from so many formats i can't even list them download now to see if graphic converter is good for you like one and a half million other users guess what you could save money when you buy graphic converter use the coupon code night owl use the coupon code night owl to get a special price for graphic converter go to lemkesoft.com that's l-e-m-k-e soft.com lemkesoft.com l-e-m-k-e soft.com If you owe the IRS back taxes, listen carefully. Sweeping changes to IRS policies will help more people than ever eliminate their tax debts once and for all. And now I can help you reduce or eliminate your tax debts and end your tax nightmare. Hi, I'm Dan Pilla. I've helped thousands of people reduce and eliminate tax debts they couldn't pay. And after more than 30 years of experience dealing with the IRS, I can tell you there's no such thing as a hopeless tax case. And with the IRS's new policies, it's easier than ever to put your tax debt behind you once and for all. Call now at 800-346-6829 to learn how I can help you. You know your IRS debt will not go away by itself, but you don't have to live in fear anymore. Call 800-346-6829. Learn how I can help you eliminate wage and bank levies, release tax liens, and negotiate a settlement with the IRS that will put your tax nightmare behind you forever. Call 800-34-NO-TAX or go to TaxHelpOnline.com. That's TaxHelpOnline.com. When natural disasters strike and the water supply is shut off, you won't panic because you have a CWR emergency water filter. CWR Environmental has been supplying emergency water filters worldwide for over 25 years. The difference? 
CWR emergency water filters are portable, easy to set up, and exceptional at removing bacteria, parasites, sediment, and many harmful contaminants, including chlorine and harmful microorganisms. Plus, they are NSF certified to assure performance. CWR emergency water filters can produce thousands of gallons of safe drinking water from any water source and come with a five-year warranty and money-back guarantee. For a limited time, the filters are specially priced with free shipping. Call now. 800-444-3563. That's 800-444-3563. Or go to CWRSurvival.com. That's CWRSurvival.com. CWR emergency water filters. Drinking water you can trust for when you need it most. CWRSurvival.com. Oh, my aching back. I've got to get some relief for my arthritis. When arthritis pain rears its ugly head, rub on Smooth Gator, the 60-second pain relief. Smooth Gator provides topical relief from head to toe and everywhere in between to stop pain fast. Smooth Gator is made with all natural oils, including wintergreen, aloe vera, and eucalyptus in a safe, non-greasy formula. Rub Smooth Gator on your neck, back, legs, knees, hands, any muscle or joint where pain from arthritis, sprains, strains, or backache needs fast 60-second pain relief. Smooth Gator can also be used for allergies, sinuses, fibromyalgia, and rheumatoid arthritis. In the time it took to listen to this message, you could have had relief with Smooth Gator, the 60-second pain relief. Go to smoothgator.com or phone 727-278-3137. Call 727-278-3137 or click smoothgator.com, the 60-second pain relief. This is Jerome Clark, author of the UFO Encyclopedia and other books. You're listening to the Paracast. So we're going back to that incredible discovery at the confluence of the Little Colorado and Colorado Rivers at the rim of Grand Canyon, all this fascinating stuff with Gary David and Gene and Chris on the Paracast. Now, the thing that just hits me every time I hear things like this is coming from inside the earth does that relate to all the theories about people or beings living inside the earth in caverns well sure that um, that is part of the hopi mythology the um the ant people there's been a lot of discussion about the ant people lately and in different places um the ant people is part of the hopi really it helped them survive they wouldn't be around without the ant people the ant people helped the Hopi survive two different cataclysms, the destruction of the, the first world by fire and the destruction of the second world by ice. Uh, fire might be an asteroid strike or a comet or a volcanism of some sort. The second world was destroyed. And when I talk about worlds, they're world ages, really, these cycles of time. The second world was destroyed by ice, a great ice age. When I hear world, I also think civilization. Is it that the developed civilization of the time was impacted? Well, that's the whole thing. Yeah, it's the whole, it encompasses the whole world. Because uh, the third world, for instance, was destroyed by a great flood. We have a lot of flood myths uh, in many cultures all over the world. But the Hopi believe that the third world was destroyed by a flood. However, during the destruction of the, the first two worlds, these ant people took the Hopi down into caverns, into caves in the Grand Canyon area. When you say ant people, are you talking about insectoid-like people or just the name of a particular race of humanoids? 
Well, they were, from what I've seen, of, uh, I've seen petroglyphs of some of these ant people. And they have, uh, you know, very spindly arms and legs, and they have antenna, and they they sort of look like ants. You know, if you if you look at these things uh, objectively, they they look like carvings of ants that that the Hopi have made. But they're hu- they're humanoid too. So they're what uh, anthropologists call therianthropes. They're half human and and half animal or or in- insect in this case. More insect-like than the so-called gray aliens that we talk about today. Uh, yeah, I would say so. You know, but there are um, there's some pretty pretty startling parallels, though. Th- there are parallels. And, that's that's know. what I'm wondering when I hear this. I'm thinking, wait a minute, we're talking about creatures like that now, and we wonder the descriptions. Could they be exaggerated to emphasize the insect-like tendencies? Or is it a hundred percent photographic representation done in drawings? Well, I think uh, I think they're they're pretty uh, specific about them being humanoid ants and not just kind of a, a fable that you'd read about, you know, the ants uh, uh, helping people or something like that. I think that they were actual creatures, and the Hopi are not. It's not a foreign concept to have all these bizarre creatures. If you look at some of the kachinas, uh, they they look pretty bizarre with with the feathers and the helmets that that sometimes look like space helmets, and uh, the different sorts of masks. Uh, all these these spirit creatures that were once, according to the Hopi, they were once physical creatures that walked among them. And that's an interesting possibility here. Is there any reason to think that it's not that they are necessarily insect-like, but they're wearing space helmets, with the antenna being some kind of communications means or mechanism? Well, that's possible. It's possible that they're just, you know, nuts and bolts extraterrestrials and coming in nuts and bolts crafts down to, down to Earth. I tend to think that they're probably more interdimensional creatures uh, coming through some, some kind of wormhole to, to this dimension. And interacting with the people uh, uh, in a physical form, you know, they, yeah, they, or they could be underground dwelling crypto terrestrials for that they, for that matter. They could still be down there, you know. Uh, like I say, the Hopi were saved by these people, so they're benevolent. They're not; they don't have the malicious intent that some greys seem to to uh, exhibit toward people. But um, they helped the Hopi survive, and they taught them how to sprout beans in these caverns. The Hopi have uh, the bean dance, the Powamu, uh, every February to commemorate this time when the, when the ant people um, took them down in the caverns and showed them how to sprout these beans in, in in a dark place. Do we look at the ant people, whatever they might be, as something in the past, or is it possible that these ant people are something that is up front and center today, something that's a present-day phenomenon or creature that one could find if they looked for them well of course there are ancient legends about these ant people but i i think they they could still be living under the earth right now and uh, it's um in these uh, caverns because th- this whole area around the confluence is is honeycombed with with caves and, and caverns so uh, who knows what what might be under there of course we can we can get into uh, the lost city of the dead in Grand Canyon, if you want to, as well. Happily. Yeah, let's talk about that because of the, the, the correlation just in terms of, of the location sure. of this yeah. fabled underground city uh, of the Hopi. And then just around the corner, basically, as the crow flies, not even 
seven, eight, ten miles uh, is this 1909 Egyptian city of the dead that allegedly was discovered by a prospector. Why don't you give us a thumbnail sketch of of Kincaid and and um, sure. the whole Egyptian city? Yeah, I have a chapter in my uh, my new book, Star Shrines and Earthworks of the Desert Southwest, about this, about this uh, kind of amazing story. And I get asked more questions about this than probably any other topic about the Southwest. Uh, apparently, on April fifth, nineteen o nine. Well, not apparently. Actually, this story appeared in the Arizona Gazette. It was the uh, daily newspaper published in Phoenix, and it was a uh, front page article. It was twenty two hundred words long. And it talked about a, a man named G.E. Kincaid, supposedly from, uh, from Idaho, and he was working for the Smithsonian Institution. Uh, not that he was directly employed, but it, it suggests that he was working kind of like a contract a worker for the Smithsonian. And he left Green River, Wyoming in uh, the fall of 1908. In October, and he sailed down the Colorado River in a wooden boat, and uh, he was taking photographs, apparently, um, and he was uh, making notes and and so forth. And um, this article appeared on April 5th that he had discovered a major archaeological find in the Grand Canyon. It's specifically an area north of the Little Colorado River in an area technically called Marble Canyon. And he spotted a cave entrance that was about 1,500 feet from the rim and, and uh, more than 2,000 feet above the river. And this, this entrance was, was about 12 feet wide. And he, he managed to climb up to this cave. And it said he climbed up with great difficulty to this cave. And that's probably an understatement. Um, I mean, he, it's really... It really had to, you know, to uh, it was really a, a climbing feat. He risked life, life and limb having viewed that area. It's it's almost inconceivable that someone would would have the cojones to do it. Oh yeah, and um, but he apparently made it. He made it up to this entrance of the cave, and the the tunnel went into um, into the side of the of the uh, cliff, and it went horizontally into the side of the cliff, and uh, it went about sixty feet. In this tunnel, and the tunnel was looked like it had been uh, not just a natural cave, but it looked like it it had been um, carved or you know etched out of this this rock into a kind of a square square shaped tunnel. And there were uh, two side passageways that branched off, and there were a number of rooms uh, in these side passageways, and. Um, they had oval-shaped doors in these rooms, and there were ventilation shafts. And then further on, he went down the main tunnel, and it, it came to a, a chamber, a huge chamber. We'll get into more of this lost city on our next segment with Gary David, with Gene and Chris. You're in the Paracast. Are you tired of searching for great talk radio? Something more important. Search no more. We are the GCN Radio Network. 
Whether it's personal mail, whether it's business email, you want reliable, dependable delivery, freedom from spam, freedom from viruses. Well, Polaris Mail offers professional email hosting services for your personal or small business use. Each account uses 25 gigabytes of storage, an easy-to-use webmail interface, and full mobile sync. Sign up today for a 30-day free trial at PolarisMail.com, PolarisMail.com. So here's what happened. I was placing an order online. The site went down. It just stopped responding. It took hours before it returned, but I'd already placed the order with another company. If your site goes down, you could lose business. And if you have a business or personal site, you'll want to know it's easy to run and it will stay online. At iWeb, your site is hosted on one of the most reliable networks in the world. Check it out. iWeb.com. That's iWeb.com. Preparedness is simple. When you have the right stuff, and with the looming threat of economic collapse and possible service interruption, it's time to get the best-in-class preparedness stuff at DisasterStuff.com. DisasterStuff.com has been serving smart preppers for over 15 years with quality products like Berkey water filters. DisasterStuff.com is the official Berkey in-stock shipping center. And as always, free shipping on all Berkey products. Stock up on water barrels and accessories. Get Country Living or Wonder Mill grain mills. Excalibur food dehydrators. Tatler reusable canning lids. Sun oven solar cookers. EMP bags to protect sensitive electronics. And don't be without your Life Straw personal water filter. All from DisasterStuff.com. Preparedness is simple with the right stuff from DisasterStuff.com. Freedom through self-reliance and personal responsibility. Attention, this is an announcement for our listeners who drive gasoline vehicles. Federal Consumer Protection has confirmed that there is now an automotive accessory that exceeds its own fuel-saving claims. Consumer Protection has confirmed that most gasoline vehicles will get 22% more miles per gallon with an accessory called Platinum 22. To find out if Platinum 22 will give your vehicle 22% more miles per gallon, you should call 1-800-LESS-GAS. You heard me correctly, 1-800-LESS-GAS. You heard me. Federal Consumer Protection has confirmed that the Platinum 22 accessory will deliver 22% more miles per gallon to most gasoline vehicles. You should pick up the phone and call 1-800-LESS-GAS to find out if it will help your vehicle. That's 1-800-LESSGAS. 1-800-LESSGAS. 22% more miles per gallon. 1-800-LESS-GAS. Alex Jones here with a message that could revolutionize health in this country. Going back about a year and a half ago, I began to learn about the incredible health effects of Longevity products. Aaron Dykes lost 92 pounds. We're going to show you some before and afters. Aaron Break down what happened, your story. I've worked really hard with diet and exercise to try to lose weight, but I just didn't get the results. It just didn't happen. Then I saw what you were doing with InfoWarsTeam.com. I wasn't even trying to lose weight, but I got it because I wanted to feel better energy. I wanted that nutrition. Didn't even understand how that could kickstart my own weight loss goals, but the products did that for me. I found myself suddenly losing weight, more energetic, wanting to exercise, wanting to eat the right foods. And they don't even advertise it as weight loss. I want to challenge our radio listeners to go to InfoWarsTeam.com, sign up as a distributor, and get wholesale pricing discounts at InfoWarsTeam.com.
Hello, this is Rosemary Ellen Guiley, and you're listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. Exploring a possible lost city near the Grand Canyon, and you wonder how many more of these are present but unaccounted for. Gary, proceed. Sure. Um, he went down this main chamber, and um, he went into the chamber, and there were another no, number of other tunnels that, that came off like spokes on a wheel, he called it. So this was a huge, a huge complex. The article stated, it actually stated that it could hold up to 50,000 people. Which is which seems incredible. Maybe that's just a journalistic exaggeration. Could a place like this have been built to house people because of the belief the world was about to end, at least on the surface? And so we want to get people into one of these hidden cities to preserve humankind? Well, it's it's hard to say because this was you know, he found this in nineteen oh nine and the idea of the whole world ending wasn't real prevalent. I mean, there were a few... Uh, well, there have always been rumors the world's going to end. I mean, you go back every 10, 20 years or something, there's another right. set of rumors that something's going to happen, a great worldwide cataclysm. Certainly all the paranoia during the 1950s about nuclear weapons was one reason, but even when we had Y2K, it was thought, well, Y2K, now the world's going to end because the bit doesn't turn over to the year 2000. Well, I think this would would, be, would have been massive overkill as far as that goes because, you know, this was such a massive complex. And they also found really anomalous artifacts inside this this cave uh, complex. They found uh, copper and gold cups. They found copper weapons. They found slag and charcoal, which means they were smelting, uh, some kind of a metal smelting that was done there. They found enameled pottery. He found, uh, Kincaid found these stone tablets with some sort of hieroglyphic writing on them. Uh, there was a dining hall that measured something like 40 by 700 feet. It was just an amazing, an amazing complex. And also, this one of the, the most amazing finds in this was a statue, a carved marble statue of a Buddha sitting in a lotus posture. Uh, holding a lotus in each hand. Now, this is, you know, Buddha in the Grand Canyon. Well, okay. Completely completely, uh, adverse to any any paradigm that that archaeologists were functioning at the time. Uh, You know, you don't find statue of Buddha in the Grand Canyon. You don't find any uh, Egyptian artifacts either they found a number of mummies lying on carved rock shelves and there were like uh, broken swords lying by them in uh, cups and uh, different different artifacts but they you know egyptian mummies egyptian style mummies and a buddha in this in this particular uh cave isn't this part and parcel of some of the anomalies we've long discovered where we think, okay, this race of people, they live in this particular part of the world, and then we travel somewhere else, and there's a relic or some reminder that they may have traveled far more distances than we expected. Well, this gets into the whole idea of 
the mainstream paradigm of the isolationists, who the academic people who say that there was no pre-Columbian uh, uh, exchange of ideas or people or trade uh, to the New World, and the the Native Americans were just isolated on this continent, and there was no. Except they they sometimes give the the Vikings a little nod there, uh, but um, there was there was no interface between you know ancient cultures and the New World. But the uh, diffusionists have a different view that there was trade all over the world in ancient times, um, global uh, maritime trading that that went to the new world and and possibly you know as far as this cave if if it's valid to uh, arizona okay so they use ships around the world nobody's saying they had flying machines or anything like that you know i think um flying machines are are a part of the third world according to the hopi the hopi have this myth of flying shields that existed in the third world. And this is much like the Hindu Vamanas uh, that uh, the Vedic texts talk about. So you know, the Hopi and, and the Hindus are aligned in that sense, that in the previous world, world age, there were these, these flying machines. But I think in this age, people are, you know, diffusionists are saying, well, you know, there was a lot of ship uh, travel between continents um, before Columbus. It's a lot easier to say that than talking about advanced aircraft or anything else, although can we think here that some of this may have been accomplished through some advanced technology that we had or we got from other people, star people, whatever? Well, you know, you, you can go in all different directions, I believe. You know, the, the Hopi and the Zuni also uh, acknowledge star ancestors or star people and coming down. Um, the Hopi have legends of star people coming down, uh, Kachinas, star Kachinas coming down, and mating with Hopi women. And, you know, this is a pretty common thing in, in Hopi, uh, Hopi myths, Hopi legends. So, uh, you know, there, there might be some kind of extraterrestrial um, influence on the Hopi people and on the Zuni people. Of course, there are also those legends of ancient cataclysms that we had in advanced civilization that something happened and maybe people went into the caves to escape from that. Others may have left this planet. Who knows? But that goes back to even the legends of Richard Shaver and the Deros and the Tiros. That's the classic legend. Well, well the Hopi uh, definitely went down into these caverns. Um, the, they have ceremonies right now, uh, you know, the ant people saving them. So, you know, I think um, uh, they, they were in jeopardy as a people. And they had to go into the earth in order to survive. And their whole cosmology is based on this subterranean subterranean existence. The Hopi believe that when they die, they go back down into the Grand Canyon um, through the Sipaponi. And they'll meet a god named Masao. Now, Masao is a rather interesting Hopi god. Masao... Um, is very striking in in his appearance. He was one of the major gods that the Hopi confronted when they came up out of the Grand Canyon. Um, he is um, he he is very tall. He has large round eyes. He has a round mouth. He has a bulbous head, 
very large bulbous head that uh, has a texture of a summer squash, so it's rather bumpy. He has very long arms and feet, and his skin is gray. Okay. Oh, boy, gray again. So this um, this looks a lot like the the tall grays that we're, we're used to seeing. He's, he's probably a tall gray uh, rather than one of the shorter grays. But, you know, his name, uh, Masao, the, the word M-A-S, is actually means gray in the Hopi language. So, And he's the god of death, the god of the underworld, the god of fire. And uh, people believe that when they die, they all go back down into the earth and have to confront Masao in sort of a judgment, you know, uh, process. Much like um, uh, the Egyptian scenario of the underworld or the duat where you're judged, uh, uh, your your deeds on earth are judged by Osiris. So Osiris and Masao have a lot in common as far as the, the god of, of death and resurrection. Well, something else that has a lot in common is the actual uh, Sipapu location and its proximity to the alleged underground city that uh, G.E. Kincaid found in 1909. Because if you go... Just down Marble Canyon, a couple, three miles to the confluence, and then go up the confluence, uh, the little Colorado, a couple, three miles. That's where the place of emergence uh, is plainly visible. So I I find it very interesting that that we should have such a close, uh, you know, proximity um, correlation there. And uh, it's the area between these two locations on top of the rim that you found evidence of this, this, this mile by three quarter mile. You know, perfect rectangle that appeared to have uh, other parallel lines running from it. And, you know, getting back to the original story of our trip, that uh, right. this is what, what alerted you that there may be something worthy of, of investigation there. And you contacted me and, uh, and David Hatcher Childress, and uh, well, I'll let you pick it up from there. But before we do that, we're going to have to break for a moment. Then we're going to want to learn more about that. And whether, and I'm curious, have there been any new developments since that trip was taken? We have Gary David joining Gene and Chris. You're in the Paracast. The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. GCN. Great talk radio starts here. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. If you'd like to listen to GCN programs on the go, I have great news. GCN has created a Droid and iPhone application, and it's free. Just as easy as going to GCNlive.com, click on the banner, and download. Before you know it, you'll be listening to your favorite hard-hitting GCN shows, live or on demand, right on your Droid or iPhone, 24-7 and on the go. So download the Droid and iPhone app free by clicking on the banner at GCNlive.com. Thanks again for listening to GCNlive.com. Again, that's GCNlive.com. We the people grow cotton, weave fabric, engrave ink, embed strips and fibers to protect from counterfeit and carting to a private bank, having it led back at interest, forcing taxes to service debt. This capitalism, or was Jefferson correct when stating a central bank issuing the public currency is a greater menace to the liberties of the people than a standing army? Ted Anderson, I'm placing a free silver dollar in a book that explains our monetary system. Call for your copy, 800-686-2237. It's time to understand the system. Call 800-686-2237. That's 800-686-2237. 
Lunch is ready. And it's an MRE smorgasbord at longlifefood.com. In 1983, Long Life Food Depot was one of the first to sell MRE pouches to the public, and we're still selling them almost 30 years later. Today, Long Life Food Depot has the world's most complete MRE online buffet because MREs are all we do. Tasty varieties of chicken, beef, salmon, and pasta entrees, plus sandwiches and our easy-to-use pouches. Full moisture, long shelf life, and ready-to-eat hot or cold. We sell by the pouch or case so the choices are endless and so are the graduated quantity discounts. The more you buy, the more you save. Call 800-601-2833 or go to longlifefood.com to join our email list for upcoming announcements like the Rollaway Food Pod. Plus, enjoy fast and free shipping. Just call 800-601-2833 or visit longlifefood.com. Emergency preparedness, emergency relief. Longlifefood.com since 1983. Sending real food to your real future. Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. Gary David joining Gene and Chris. We're talking about that very unusual discovery of a possible lost city. Has there been anything new since the original trip to learn more about this? Well, we went out there partly because of this giant rectangle and also i had seen some other anomalies that looked like ruins or perhaps kivas on the rim and uh, come come to find out we we couldn't get out to this area that i that i also saw that had the ruins so maybe that's that's uh to do in 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 the next trip out there but um yeah the a very stunning uh discovery that apparently has been around since uh, the spring and we didn't know about it when we were out there we were out there for about um what four days chris yeah it was the second week of may i believe yeah and uh you know it uh apparently this whole thing about the grand canyon escalade there's a uh, a company in scottsdale that is trying to put in a um, a huge complex right at the at the confluence, the place where the Little Colorado flows into the Colorado River, and they want to build a tramway down into the Grand Canyon, and they want to build build a walkway along the Colorado River, they want to build a restaurant down in the Grand Canyon, and uh, they want want to build uh, museums and a whole um, a whole tourist kind of uh, complex well a casino too on Ca- top at the, on, at the rim casinos yeah and uh, just a hotel a hotel up there so this is so close to this most sacred spot in hopi and zuni culture the sepapu that you know it's just unthinkable that you know this is as sacred to to the hopi and the zuni as as mecca is to uh, to the Muslims and uh, Jerusalem is to, to the to the uh, Hebrews, so it's just just unthinkable that the Navajo, in coordination with this these companies from Scottsdale, is trying to push this this money making scheme that will that will devastate uh, the whole the whole area. I guess if money is to be made, somebody out there, some developer will say, "Let's find a way to do it. Let's find a way to exploit this." Yeah, and and the people who are doing it, uh, they have rather sleazy motives. Um, 
one of the guys that's uh, trying to push it through. His son is connected with strip clubs in in Scottsdale, and and uh, you know they're they're connected with the the Grand Canyon Walkway at the the other end of the canyon. So. You know, and and they're also connected with the snowball making, uh, you know, putting uh, uh, sewage on, uh, making snow from sewage water. I mean, it, it's all connected. This 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 group that's trying to push this through. And we should probably note uh, as well that this area is under the control and dominion of the Navajo people, who are relative newcomers to North America. They arrived here about a hundred years before the Spanish. They have political control and dominion over this area that is sacred to the Hopi and Zuni who are being left out of the equation, who don't have any sort of political clout um, in the, the Grand Canyon confluence area there. Yeah, there, there is a, a bit of uh, discrepancy between, you know, where the boundary actually is. The, the Navajos say that they own that side, the eastern side of Marble Canyon. And, um, you know, uh, Grand Canyon National Park uh, tends to say that, well, no, we own up to the rim. So, you know, there's there's a bit of discrepancy between uh, the park and the Navajo Nation about where the boundary actually is. And uh, like you say, the, the Navajo have not been here as long as the Hopi or Zuni in this region. But um, recently, um, just last night, I saw a video uh, produced by... Uh, a group uh, in that area, a group of Navajos that that are claiming that they see, they also see this area as sacred. So some of the Navajos in that particular area do claim that this is this is sacred uh, land according to their culture, which which is a good sign that um, perhaps uh, they will prevail rather than the uh, uh, Ben Shelley and and the people, the company in Scottsdale. If it's Native American land, though, the U.S. government has no control over what they do with it, right? Well, that's right. Yeah, it's, it's Navajo uh, land. At least, you know, the, the the rim is the top up on top. Now, it's, there's a dispute, you know, whether they control down to the river or does their control stop at the rim? You know, So the, I think, you know, I th- I'm surprised that Grand Canyon has not spoken up more about this particular project because it would really change the whole the whole tenor and the whole uh, whole feel of of the Grand Canyon, this remote area that you can hike down into. And the Hopi have for centuries they have made um, migrations to this area, to the Sipapuni, and to the Salt Caves, which are also down there. And they they gathered ritualistic salt that they brought up and took back to the Hopi mesas. And this was a you know, kind of a, a ritual annual migration that the Hopi would make to this specific area. And well, a, pil- a pilgrimage, not, not pilgr- so much a migration. Yeah, migration, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that, that's a better word, yeah, pilgrimage. And, and this, this Salt uh, Trail Canyon uh, that is very sacred to the Hopi um, is where uh, you and I, Clifford Mahoudi and Ron Regeer, filmed uh, what appeared to be illegal covert helicopter activity, which appeared to be going down right into and over the place of emergence uh, with these large loads slung underneath on long cables, uh, which, you know, we talked about back in June. But uh, come to find out then, uh, you know, as we finished up our trip and went went home, uh, Gary found out about this Grand Canyon Escalade project, and all of a sudden it kind of 
everything kind of came clearly into focus. I, I think Clifford Mahuti came up with the most astute observation. He's saying, yeah, they're going to build this casino on top of the rim. And if you have a special, you know, if you're one of the mucky mucks with a special pass key, you can take the elevator down into the, to where the real action is in the underground city that they're probably refurbishing with, uh, yeah. with uh, pedophile rooms and, uh, you know, <laughs> who knows what else. Oh, that's getting pretty crazy. But, Chris, the question I have to ask you or Gary is there's basically if they own the land, the Navajo, the Hopi has no claim to it. There's no legal way they can contact the authorities to say, look. You can't do this, or maybe the train has already left the station. It's already being done, and next year it'll be opened up. What's going on? Well, that's a good question. Uh, Clifford said that there has to be some sort of of uh, environmental impact uh, study done, and there has to be a cultural impact study done, um, which is fairly routine for large, uh, you know, development projects on uh, reservations. And there is some question that the Navajo may not have the right to violate another tribes, or in this case, uh, pretty much all the other Pueblo Indian peoples, uh, their sacred site. Now, remember the Diné, the Apache and, and, and Navajo, um, again, have a, are recent newcomers to this area. So mm-hmm. they don't hold the area, I think, as sacred as the Hopi and Zuni and other Pueblo tribes do. And, and, I think there may be some sort of legal recourse that the Hopi and Zuni may have uh, to at least uh, demand that certain um, you know studies are done or feasibility uh, assessments are done uh, from a cultural and an environmental point of view. Um, there is the issue of water in the Little Colorado. Where are they going to get the water to uh, to uh, allow this uh, huge facility to be built and maintained? Uh, they initially proposed a small airport to be built there, which was uh, struck down. Uh, but it seems like a, you know this is almost a slam dunk thing for these developers. A, a memorandum of understanding has already been filed up, a legal document uh, signed by the head of the Navajo Nation, Ben Chelly. So um, it, it does appear, and correct me if I'm wrong, Gary, that this this whole thing appears to be going full speed ahead. Well, yeah, unless unless the uh, Grand Canyon National Park can get, somehow get involved. We can go into um, the complexities of the legal ramifications, how that development might be stopped or has the ship sailed, the train left the station. We'll get into that in a moment. We have Gary David with Gene and Chris in The Paracast. <laughs> Ray Perkins, a reclusive veteran burned out from the Gulf War, lives tortured by relentless, perplexing nightmares. Nightmares of a horrific battle in deep space and of a mysterious woman suffering in agony for her devastated world. A woman not yet born, calling across centuries to him. Then, a coincidence leads him to his destiny, his chance to alter the universe. Attack! Attack! Of the Rockwell. The former fiction editor for Star Wars and Indiana Jones, Robert Simpson, writes The soul of the novel Attack of the Rockoids lies in its heart and passion for building a convincing tale of a love that spans the galaxy. A thrilling story. Attack, Attack of the Rockoids is available now. Read a sample chapter and get a special discount off of the cover price at our website, rockoids.com. That's R O C K O I D S.com. Attack, Attack. 
of the Rockaways, a novel in the grand science fiction tradition. Quantitative easing, unemployment at depression levels, Europe financial system falling apart, China getting out of U.S. treasuries. At the end of 2008, the time of TARP, the national debt was at 11 trillion gold, trading around $850 per ounce. Close to 2012, the national debt exceeded 16.4 trillion, gold doubled to $1,600 per ounce. The 20 trillion threshold for the national debt is inevitable. Politicians in Washington have a ferocious appetite for spending and stimulus. What's worse, a printing press to finance. A hundred years ago, we had a gold standard to limit this madness, but now you have to adopt your own gold standard. Don't be fooled with paper promises. Get Midas Resources 10 Reasons to Buy Gold free by calling 800-686-2237. Understanding the gold and silver market may be the only insurance you could have to avoiding the next economic crisis. Call 1-800-686-2237 and order your free copy. Again, that's 800-686-2237. Iodine protection packs from HempUSA.org are now in stock for immediate delivery worldwide. Our iodine protection packs include micro plant powder, green life kelp, red palm oil, and our clear roll-on iodine that will feed the body the iodine it needs. All iodine protection packs are in stock, save you money, and ship for free in all 50 states. Visit HempUSA.org or call 908-691-2608 today. HempUSA.org has a revolutionary wonder food for detoxing the body and rebuilding the immune system. Micro plant powder can help unclog arteries and soften heart valves while removing heavy metals, virus, fungus, bacteria, and parasites. Plus, it cleans and purifies the blood, lungs, stomach, and colon. Keep your body clean with micro plant powder. Visit us at HempUSA.org or call 908-691-2608 today. Fight back this cold and flu season with the world's best garlic extract, Ali C. Why Ali C? Because it helps your body fight viruses, bacteria, and fungi. Ali C has been scientifically proven in double blind studies using low doses to greatly reduce the number, severity, and duration of common colds. Ali C contains 300 milligrams of stabilized allicin, the active ingredient in crushed garlic. Studies show Ali C is effective against MRSA, bacterial, fungal, and viral infections. One tablet of Ali C has the equivalent of 40 cloves of garlic. Ali C supports your body's resistance to all types of conditions and can help lower high blood pressure and high cholesterol. So boost your body's resistance to infection with nature's best garlic extract, Ali C. For more information and to order Ali C, call 877-888-7126 or go to garlichealthproducts.com. That's 1-877-888-7126 or go to garlichealthproducts.com for your Ali C today. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. The endless fight to keep developers and possibly impacting or destroying sacred land. Now, I gather there is a Bureau of Indian Affairs, which is controlled by the U.S. Department of the Interior, which works with various Native American-related issues. But do they have any power over something like this? Well, I think the BIA would would, uh, probably go full speed on this project and, and give it the go. They traditionally have not supported 
Native American interests. Uh, you know, I've been on Pine Ridge Re- Reservation. I taught there in in the uh, 80s. And, uh, you know, it's the same story. The BIA tries to push these these huge economic projects that, that destroy sacred sites and um, uh, go against the wishes of the spiritual elders of of the particular uh, villages and communities. So, Is that know, the politicians who receive the most campaign contributions from the right people to do this? I, yeah, I'm sure that's that's all part of it. And like I say, the the uh, the tribal council on most reservations is allied with these these corporations that want to come in and, and build casinos and build different economic projects and destroy the the uh, the spiritual nature of that many of the elders are constantly fighting against. And it's not just at Hopi or Zuni. It's, it's on Pine Ridge and, and different uh, reservations around the country. This struggle between the BIA and the tribal councils against the spiritual leaders of the, of the community, of the, uh, the, the tribes. So um, this is a constant theme that's going on. But uh, you mentioned the water. Uh, you know, one of John Kyle's last bills... I believe it was Senate Bill 2109. Is that right, Chris? Which was actually a reintroduction of an old bill that was that was shot down. Yeah, it would have waived uh, all the rights that the, that uh, the Navajo and and the Hopi and the Zuni have of the Little Colorado and the Colorado River. That would have taken all their water rights away in exchange for a few communities on the reservation getting piped water into their into their uh, communities. Luckily, this this uh, bill kind of died, but I think it was all part of this whole complex, you know, the the water bill and this particular Grand Canyon Escalade. I think it's part of the whole the whole conspiracy to to uh, usurp the uh, the uh, native people's uh, religious lands and uh, and destroy the any religious uh, value that. Um, that the Navajo and the Hopi and the Zuni have for these places. Is this all about profits? No, well, it's always, always all about profits, you know. We don't have to worry about John Kyle anymore because right. he didn't run. We have a Flake to worry about now. I don't know uh, about Jeff Flake. We'll have to argue <laughs> that. This is becoming a political discussion here, whether the politicians can do something. And if there is a lost city down there with all sorts of interesting evidence whether the actions of a few politicians and maybe the wrong officials could destroy all that legacy before we find out what's really going on. This is a constant struggle, and it's symptomatic of the end of the fourth world, according to the Hopi. Uh, I, have, I have a Hopi friend that, you know, I ask him, well, when is the fourth world going to end? And he says, well, probably in my lifetime, and he's in his 50s now. The ceremonial cycle will just cease to exist. Because it's just too hard, too much of a struggle to keep keep these ceremonies going, and all of these uh, sacred lands are being destroyed. Uh, this is all part of the the scenario that the the fourth world, you know, on a, in a grand scale, on on a in a cosmic sense, is is grinding to an end. The the new new age is going to come in, but we have this rough period, this this birthing period, where a lot of these uh, you know. Earth uh, devastation and uh, environmental disasters uh, keep keep hitting us day after day. We read it in the news, you know, just one after another, one disaster after another. 
But don't we live also in a society where a lot of politicians are totally anti-science, anti the environment? They don't believe in man-made global warming or any global warming. They believe the Earth was built 6,000 years ago. They don't believe in what used to be considered normal scientific evidence. So why should you expect them to want to do anything about protecting these native lands? Well, sure. That's that's part of the uh, the rapture crowd that thinks that they're they're just going to be raptured into heaven and and the the rest of the earth is going to be left in a state of chaos and and warfare. A lot of unfortunately, a lot of uh, politicians have this radical view of uh, Christianity. And, uh, you know, as far as the environment goes, they, they could care less about what happens to the earth because they'll be you know, safe in heaven. And, you know, this, this is a, a dire sign. You know, when, uh, when um, Bill Nye, the science guy, has, has to step in and, and say, well, you know, you really should teach evolution to your kids because we won't have a, com- a competing uh, science a body of uh, scientists competing with the rest of the world i mean uh, we're, we're getting so so illogical in the way uh, some of the politicians at least have taken on this right-wing christian um evangelical uh, outlook on life and it's it's really frightening to to think that people could be that irrational but you wonder why they come up with those beliefs is it partly because of frustrations about the fact that Things today are so difficult in coping with our society and the economy and all the stuff that's going on that maybe it's just better to pretend it doesn't exist. Um, you know, the environmental movement started, and you know, I was uh, a high school senior during the first Earth Day, and we we had a lot of hope that this was going to be a, a positive force that would uh, would clean up uh, the Earth. You know, I grew up. Uh, in a suburb of Cleveland, and at that time, the Cuyahoga River was uh, catching on fire periodically because of all the pollutants. And we thought this this environmental movement would be um, an, an anodyne for that, that sort of uh, destruction and pollution. But we had a backlash in the 80s, and uh, now environmentalism is seen as a dirty word. You know, you're... you're uh, it's um, you know, it's it's frightening the way some people have become so anti-science. Um, I don't think um, really, I I don't think Al Gore did us any good because he politicized the whole the whole issue of climate change, and and uh, those on the right just naturally attack anything uh, dealing with global warming or climate change because. They don't like the the Democrats or Al Gore, so you know it's, it's gotten a really messy the whole the whole situation. And you know scientists are just shaking their heads because you know ninety nine percent of them agree that global warming is a uh, human caused and uh, that um, that a lot of these uh, these politicians are just simply ignorant of of the facts. Uh, just look at the facts. Yes, sir. Just the facts. We'll have more of those facts in a moment. We have Gary David with Gene and Chris. You're in the Paracast. (laughs) 
America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade. We are the GCN Radio Network. Graphic Converter is the image manipulation tool for the rest of us. It does not use any database. You get full control of all your files. Want to view the images of a folder? Drag it into Graphic Converter, and a powerful browser opens up to show your image files. You could use it for slideshows. You could use it to import images from digital cameras or from scanners. Need to do some image editing? You can do that, too, in Graphic Converter. Also, print catalogs convert from so many formats, I can't even list them. Download now to see if Graphic Converter is good for you, like one and a half million other users. Guess what? You could save money when you buy Graphic Converter. Use the coupon code NIGHTOWL. Use the coupon code NIGHTOWL to get a special price for Graphic Converter. Go to LemkeSoft.com. That's L-E-M-K-E-Soft.com. LemkeSoft.com. L-E-M-K-E-Soft.com. Do you owe the IRS money that you can't pay? Are tax liens and levies ruining your life? Are you tired of being afraid just to go to the mailbox? If this describes you, then Dan Pilla can help. Hi, I'm Dan Pilla, and I've been solving tax problems for more than 30 years. In fact, I wrote the book that made it possible to negotiate settlements with the IRS, and I've helped thousands of people do exactly that. Call now at 800-346-6829 to learn how I can help you. You know your IRS debt will not go away by itself, but you don't have to live in fear anymore. New changes to IRS policies will help more people than ever before eliminate their debts once and for all. There's no need for you to suffer another day with IRS debt. Call 800-346-6829. I can help you eliminate wage and bank levies, release tax liens, and negotiate a settlement with the IRS that will put your tax nightmare behind you forever. Call 800-34-NO-TAX or go to my website, TaxHelpOnline.com. That's TaxHelpOnline.com. You land in Buenos Aires, then are shuttled to Santa Rosa, where a nicely furnished cabin with all amenities, Wi-Fi, executive food and wine, and laundry service awaits. After a good night's sleep, your adventure begins. You're on a golden stag safari for big game. But it's not Africa, it's Argentina. One-on-one guided hunts for water buffalo, cougar, bighorn rams, wild boar, and the biggest stag deer in South America. All gold medal quality. All the action you can handle. Land Rovers, top rental guns with scopes, all food, beverages, hunting guides, ground transportation included, and more. All more affordable than you can imagine. The adventure of a lifetime starts at GoldenStagSafaris.com, the big game hunting ranch. GoldenStagSafaris.com. Lunch is ready! And it's an MRE smorgasbord at longlifefood.com. In 1983, Long Life Food Depot was one of the first to sell MRE pouches to the public. And we're still selling them almost 30 years later. Today, Long Life Food Depot has the world's most complete MRE online buffet. Because MREs are all we do. Tasty varieties of chicken, beef, salmon, and pasta entrees. Plus sandwiches and our easy-to-use pouches. Full moisture, long shelf life, and ready-to-eat hot or cold. We sell by the pouch or case 
price, so the choices are endless, and so are the graduated quantity discounts. The more you buy, the more you save. Call 800-601-2833 or go to longlifefood.com to join our email list for upcoming announcements like the Rollaway Food Pod. Plus, enjoy fast and free shipping. Just call 800-601-2833 or visit longlifefood.com. Emergency preparedness, emergency relief. Longlifefood.com since 1983. Sending real food to your real future. Hello, this is John Burroughs, one of the witnesses to the Rendlesham UFO incident. You're listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. We have Gary David with Gene and Chris in the Paracast. Parenthetically, in terms of global warming deniers, none other than Stanton Friedman, the famous UFO investigator was co-author of one book about where science was quote-unquote wrong, and he doesn't believe in it. Well, he's going against a vast majority of, of the scientists out there that uh, that are using uh, greatly improved climate models. You know, the climate models weren't that great 20 years ago, but now they're, they've become uh, much more refined. And uh, you just look at the the, uh, the warming of the, uh, Ar- uh, the Arctic Ocean, Pretty soon we're going to have, uh, in the summertime, we're going to have uh, be able to just sail on the uh, Arctic Ocean and uh, give give tours on the uh, boat tour, cruises, you know, cru- uh, cruise lines on the Arctic Ocean. Oh, I yeah. hate to be a polar bear. Well, just think this way. If you live in New York City or in New Jersey and you suffered from the misery of Hurricane Sandy, you have to wonder, how can you say something isn't going on? You could say, well, maybe it's not fully man-made, but we've got a crazy cycle going on here. That's causing lots of trouble, lots of misery for people. Yeah, I'm not saying that it's totally human caused, but you know, a lot of the greenhouse gases uh, we're throwing more into the atmosphere all the time. Well, and uh, also the sun, the sun appears to be heating up. Yeah, the the solar cycles are are getting kind of crazy, and I guess next year, 2013, will be the the solar maximum. Well, that's assuming, of course, we survive, and when the world doesn't end two weeks from now. Yeah. Okay, we have to think about that. But sure. when we look at stuff that you're doing, and you have the new book, Star Shrines and Earthworks in the Desert Southwest, and you have these four books that you've written, and you look at this, and you're just one researcher of many researchers who've done this kind of research. But what about mainstream science? When they look at the work that people like you do, do they say, oh, he's not a real scientist? What do they say? Well, I'm not a scientist. I don't claim to be a scientist. I never have. I don't, I don't even claim to be an arch, uh, archaeologist. I don't have a degree in archaeology or anything like that. I'm, I'm a writer who's interested in the Hopi culture and in archaeology and in archaeoastronomy. But I don't claim, make any claims to be totally scientific. Uh, that's, that's not the type of writing I do. If people are looking for hard science, they should probably look uh, elsewhere. You're a popular writer who writes stuff for regular people to acquaint them with a lot of different mysteries and evidence. And you hope that scientists will pick up on what you do and say, you know what, we should research this too. Well, yeah, I'm not looking for that particular audience even, Gene. Um, If scientists can find some kind of meaning in in what I'm doing, that's fine. But I'm really exploring for myself and – the, the, the relationship between uh, the Hopis 
and the land that they live on and their myths and their legends and trying to make sense of the place where I live because I've lived in Arizona for 18 years and uh, I, I try to make sense of um, the place that I'm living in and this is one of the ways I've done that before this time I, I lived in the Black Hills of South Dakota and worked with the Lakota Sioux on different projects and I taught on Pine Ridge and uh, Rosebud Reservations and uh, try to look at the at the land through the eyes of the native people and through their their myths and legends and there's quite a few parallel legends that the Lakota have and the, and the Hopi have as far as the celestial reflecting the uh, terrestrial realm. You know what? Maybe tell us about those connections. When I was in South Dakota, I, I went there when I was uh, about 26, age 26. That was a long time ago. Yeah, I um, started working with the Lakota because I was teaching on Pine Ridge. And I met a woman named Charlotte Black Elk. And Charlotte was the um, great-granddaughter of... Nicholas Black Elk, who wrote the classic Black Elk Speaks. And at the time, Charlotte was, um, she was trying to explore this idea that the, that the Lakota or the Sioux had been there longer than historians say they were. And she had a buffalo hide with a star map on it. And this star map showed the stars as they were 3,000 years ago. And she was saying that, you know, the Lakota had been doing ceremonies in and around the Black Hills for 3,000 years because this star map on the buffalo hide proves this particular thing. And they had a concept of a celestial buffalo that corresponded to certain parts of the Black Hills. Uh, this celestial buffalo was made up of Orion's belt, so that, that keyed me in on, on Orion right away. That was the backbone of this buffalo. The nose of the buffalo uh, was the Pleiades in, in the constellation Taurus. And the tail of the buffalo was the star Sirius. So there was this huge symbolic buffalo in the sky that referred to specific points in the Black Hills where the Lakota would go and do ceremonies at a certain time of year. For instance, they would do the Sundance ceremony at Devil's Tower, which is uh, northwest of the Black Hills. Of course, Devil's Tower is the place where uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind was filmed. And so, uh, you know, the Lakota had a long-standing relationship with that land and, and, uh, and doing ceremonies on that land for thousands of years, not just a few hundred like historians claim. So uh, this idea of the sky mirroring the earth was planted very early on. So when I came down here in Arizona, that idea of the Arizona-Orion correlation uh, took hold when I saw the pattern of Hopi villages across the high desert of Arizona reflecting directly the, the constellation Orion in an exact pattern, one-to-one -one correlation. How fascinating that we're trying to look at these correlations. So do we assume then that there were interactions between these peoples? There had to be, right? Well, the Hopi believe that they, they migrated before they settled on the three mesas where they now live. Uh, they came up out of the Grand Canyon and they started on a series of migrations all around the continent. Uh, they have um, legends of uh, migrating up into Canada. And in fact, there have been... Um, petroglyphs, snake petroglyphs that the Hopi claimed that the snake clan built 
or carved, I'm sorry. They carved these petroglyphs in Alberta, Canada. So the Hopi went far up into the north. The Hopi traveled down into Mexico and Central America and interacted with the Maya people. In fact, some of the some claim that the Maya are merely the the people who never made it back up this way. That's what Grandfather Martin told me. He says, "Oh, the Maya—they're just Hopi that went south and they forgot to come back." Yeah, yeah. And you know, you see, you see a lot of correlations. The idea of world ages, as we talked about earlier, the Maya have it and the Hopi have it. Uh, the Aztecs also had it, but the Hopi traveled also to the East Coast. And they have a myth about um, a hard beings woman, it's called, having a kiva in the Atlantic Ocean. Okay, and her sister has a kiva in the Pacific Ocean. So they traveled to both oceans. And uh, there's some say that um, the Hopi snake clan built Serpent Mound in southern Ohio. Uh, So the Hopi went all over. And, uh, you know, so they definitely went up into the into the Lakota territory in South Dakota and um, just made kind of a a spiral migration until they finally came around to the center of the world. The, they call it the Tuanasabi, the, the center of the earth, which uh, is the Hopi Mesas. It's a fascinating subject, Gary. Um, big fan of your work. And I do recommend your books highly to uh, Paracast listeners. And uh, what do you have on uh, on tap for future projects? Uh, are you are you already researching uh, some new new stuff? Or you know, the, this uh, recent book, I could have worked on it another six months. Really, I worked hard on it, and uh, my publisher, David Childress, wanted to get it out, so w- was working eight to uh, twelve hours a day. So you got the book out, and we'll talk more about that book and possible future plans coming up. Let me remind you that we have lots of stuff coming up. We, of course, have the Paracast forums where you can ask questions of our guests. You'll find it at forum.thepowercast.com. Once again, that's forum.thepowercast.com. Gary David joining Gene and Chris. You're in the Paracast. Are you tired of searching for great talk radio? Something more important. Search no more. We are the GCN Radio Network. If you want to get your website online and you need reliable service, first-class service at the lowest possible price, there's only one place to go. Well, DreamHost has a special promotion with our show where they'll offer you unlimited disk space, unlimited bandwidth, one-click web apps such as WordPress, 24-7 support. You can save over $55. You want to know how? Go to DreamHost.com slash radio, DreamHost.com slash radio. Whether it's personal mail, whether it's business email, you want reliable, dependable delivery, freedom from spam, freedom from viruses. Well, Polaris Mail offers professional email hosting services for your personal or small business use. Each account uses 25 gigabytes of storage, an easy-to-use webmail interface, and full mobile sync. Sign up today for a 30-day free trial at PolarisMail.com, PolarisMail.com. What do you do when your propane runs out and you don't have a large amount of wood for cooking? 
That's when you need a Grover Rocket Stove from StockStorage.com. The Grover Rocket Stove starts easily with any combustible material like junk mail, small twigs, leaves, weeds, or dry sagebrush. Then just add a small amount of kindling wood and you'll be cooking entire meals in minutes. Grover Rocket Stoves are made right here in the USA and are built to last a lifetime using heavy-duty thick-gauge steel and are painted with high-temp paint to withstand heat. Go to StockStorage.com and see three great Grover Rocket Stoves, stainless steel, heavy-duty, or our original Grover Rocket Stove for only $135 and get free shipping to the lower 48. For phone orders, call 801-361-6984 or go to StockStorage.com. That's 801-361-6984 or StockStorage.com. The original Grover Rocket Stove Minimal Wood Use Cooking Stoves, available exclusively from StockStorage.com. Are you still a traditional smoker? Now experience a new lifestyle and try vaping with e-cigarettes by LeSig. Imagine no ashes, stains, nasty smell, or coughing and hacking. With LeSig e-cigarettes revolutionary microelectronic technology, rechargeable battery, and unique replaceable cartridge, you'll get all the benefits and satisfaction of smoking without the hazards. Choose your taste from a wide variety of our new American-made vaporian e-liquids at LeSig.com. And LeSig smokes the competition by serving thousands of worldwide customers with real people customer service fast free same day shipping and a 30 day warranty and satisfaction guarantee so are you ready for a new vaping lifestyle then call 870-518-4307 that's 870-518-4307 or visit lesig.com spelled l-e-c-i-g.com lesig e-cigarettes for today's modern smoker here it comes another cold and flu season Get ready for it and save now during the pre-winter sale at HerbalHealer.com. Don't be without powerful natural flu fighters like elderberry power capsules. They support the immune system and they have antiviral properties. Another powerful antiviral is olive leaf capsules, highly recommended by Herbal Healer Academy. Also on sale is Physician Strength Oregacillin, a savior for the lungs. It fights bacteria, virus, and fungus. Our famous four-herb capsules are a gentle liver cleanser and can be taken daily. Also featured this winter are the homeopathic detoxes, liver, kidney, lung, lymph, whole body and brain detox on sale and remember as always new customers get a free 128 page catalog with your order log on and hit the pre-winter specials at herbalhealer.com healing the world with nature one person at a time since 1988 This is Leslie Kane, and I'm with the Coalition for Freedom of Information and you are listening to the Paracast With Gary David and Gene and Chris, you're in the Paracast. Gary, you were saying that you got the book out a few months maybe earlier than you might have wanted to do it. So what material is there not present in the book that maybe you could have included had you had six more months? Well, I could have refined what was already there. Um, I did some research on genetic material, which is, is very difficult stuff. And uh, basically, in this most recent book, I have a uh, theory that a certain genetic trait of albinism was carried across the ocean. The Hopi have also have a myth of going across the ocean on reed rafts to escape a great flood. Okay, They came uh, from Polynesia across the Pacific, and they went island hopping, 
across the ocean and came to the western shore of, of America. And then they went uh, up the Colorado River and populated the Colorado Plateau in Arizona. But um, I, I tried to verify this with uh, genetics. And I think I have a link with albinism or albinos. There's a very high rate of albinos in the Hopi culture and also the Zuni culture. It's also a very high rate of albinos in Polynesia. Uh, much higher than the population at, at large. So I think there might be a genetic link that verifies this particular legend that the Hopi have. And there's some other uh, genetic things that I won't get into, but um, I think the way we can prove these things now is through genetics, the, the migration processes can be verified. These legends, these ancient legends can be verified with uh genetic variations uh, over time. Is there a reason to think that any of these peoples were descended from these other mysterious races somehow? Well, there's the, the concept of Lemuria or the continent of Mu. And uh, a guy named James Churchward uh, had this theory that uh, the people living on this, this ancient continent that was in the Pacific um, they migrated to the west coast of America, and the, he called them the cliff dwellers in the southwest. That's ob obviously the Anasazi or the what we call the Hizatsino. Uh, they were the last wave of this of these people that escaped this this whole continent uh, of uh, Mu and traveled to the west coast. And and to verify this, Edgar Casey also talks about. Uh, some of his um, the readings that he did for people, the past lives were in uh, Lemuria, and uh, they moved to the southwestern United States, to Arizona uh, in particular. He mentioned that in a couple different readings. So, you know, Churchward and Casey uh, both verify this, this uh, eastward migration from the Pacific to the west coast. And I tried to try to prove this genetically, and uh, you know I just got started on this. There, there might be more more work to be done on that. Well, the other thing here, what about Atlantis and these other ancient civilizations? Aren't there several of these? Well, there are so many books written about Atlantis. You know, you you don't really know what to believe. Was it in? Was it on the South Pole, or was it the island of Sarah in the Mediterranean? You know, I I'm really not sure. It's it's been found on every continent. You know, Atlantis has been located on every count, continent in the world. So, you know, I'm sure there was a, a huge uh, global flood, a, a deluge, because so many cultures around the world have the similar flood myths. You know, the, the Sumerians had it, and of course the Christian, the Christian Bible talks about it, and a lot of Native American cultures talk about this huge flood that destroyed the world, basically, uh, and... Uh, you, it's proven that um, the the level of the oceans have uh, have risen um, uh, something like a hundred meters or so. Uh, it was once much uh, much lower, and uh, a lot of cities were lost along the coastlines for sure. But whether or not an actual continent sunk into the Atlantic or the Pacific, it's it's hard to say. You know, most scientists. Uh, kind of disavow this this notion of, of continents you know falling to the bottom of the ocean 
Isn't it, though, they don't want to admit we could possibly have had ancient civilizations that were as advanced as we are, so to speak, or more advanced? Yeah, I th- I think that's true. I mean, there's kind of a uh, a temporal chauvinism that, you know, we're the best, we're we're the best on the block, and uh, we, we're the highest degree of evolution, and there's been no cultures that have been higher than ours. But, you know, people like Graham Hancock talk talk about uh, the lost civilizations, uh, lost, uh, you know, 10,000 years ago or so, 12,000 years ago, uh, with this great, um, great flood uh, at the end of the Ice Age. So I think a lot more people are, are exploring this idea of, a lost civilization than than heretofore were uh, you know um, discussed. Do we think it's several civilizations or just one with different names? Well, I think uh, you know it's um, well. It's hard to say. I mean, there might have been different groups scattered around the globe that had affiliations with each other. Especially if you if you acknowledge the notion that there were these uh, flying craft. Uh, that could get around pretty easily. You know, the the Hindus talk about the Vimanas and the Hopi talk about uh, Pa'atu Vota or the flying shields that existed in the previous age. So there might have been air travel during back during that time. It's uh, if these legends are, are true, you know, uh, if they're not just uh, fancy, fanciful ideas, but if they're actually history, then, then, uh, air travel could have been achieved back in ancient times. Oh, isn't that fascinating? If we can only prove it. How do we prove it? Well, we uh, unless we find one at the bottom of the ocean or something, I don't think we can. Um, you know, it's hard to prove legends that are thousands of years old. You know, pr- prove them in, in an empirical sense. It's like it's hard to prove uh, UFOs, you know, unless you have a piece of one or something. Well, the thing I also wonder about here, whether what might also be the situation is that were these ancient civilizations physically on Earth or were they somewhere else? Well, uh, I think they were on Earth. Uh, the, the, uh, I think these the star beings came here um, from, from distant places. And, and my books go into a certain hypotheses about where where the star beings could could come from, but I think they they came to this planet and assisted us in our uh, in our development as as a civilization and uh, assisted in various ways. And these are interpreted as as gods, you know, the, these these creatures, these what I think of as maybe interdimensional creatures coming through. Through a through a kind of wormhole or something, and and interacting with us here on Earth. Hmm. Again, how do we prove any of that? It's all speculation, and you, like I say, I'm not a scientist, and I don't claim to be a scientist. I like to just entertain these ideas and put them out there in hopes that that it'll take people some, somewhere and uh, give them certain meaning in their own in their own journey in their own intellectual uh, pursuits. Right, and inspire others to pick up the torch and uh, carry it forward, get the ball down the field. Right, yeah. I, we're not going to get the type of, of empirical proof that, that the skeptics demand, you know, the skeptics or, uh, or debunkers demand, you know. But if we, uh, if we entertain these ideas as not far-fetched, 
you know the the magic uh, of of today to tomorrow will be a provable science you know Gary David where do we find more of the things you do Okay my website is theorionzone.com that's t h e o r i o n zone.com and you can uh, read about my books descriptions of the of the four books I have out and um, you can order from that website or you can get my books from Adventures Unlimited Press and you can get them at Amazon, Barnes & Noble. Uh, a couple of the books are in Kindle editions. They're uh, available pretty much everywhere. And there's a lot of free information on my website. I've got essays. I've got maps that you can see uh, the, the Orion correlation in Arizona, for instance. Excellent. We look forward to checking out that site. Chris O'Brien's got a site, too, OurStrangePlanet.com. That's OurStrangePlanet.com. You can find us on Twitter, where we are known as The Paracast. So follow us or go to theparacast.com. Gary David, thanks for joining us this week on The Paracast. Thanks, Gene and Chris. The Paracast, featuring Gene Steinberg and Christopher O'Brien, is a copyrighted presentation of Making the Impossible Incorporated. Tune in next week for a new adventure in... The Paracast.